What's up, listeners? Um, welcome to episode nine of TMP Hockey. Wow, nine. That's awesome. Um, today, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm super pumped. Um, we got a lot of like good responses and feedback from the episode with, with Sharpie and Mr. Dan Sarnecki. So, um, Mr. Dan Sarnecki agreed to, to hop on and, and be co-host when he can, which I'm, I'm jacked up about. Um, and so we'll start this episode. Um, the person that we're going to be interviewing today, I'm stoked about that. You and I have talked about it a little bit. Um, this guy has an interesting background uh, as coach and coach GM, scout, player development, all that stuff. Um, pretty much everywhere in the U.S. Uh, but going to you first, Dan, um, thanks for, for being a part of the crew. No, and I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and asking me if I wanted to take this, you know, more seriously and and being a, a co-host whenever I can and bringing on, uh, obviously, the vast majority of people that I know in the hockey world and and I think growing the the brand. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I look forward to it. I appreciate it. Um, and now, you know, one thing that we didn't go over last time when Sharpie was on, um, that I wanted to go through just so that like the people that are listening um, are aware of too, just kind of like your, your playing background um, and what, what you're up to now. So if you want to start from how you like got into hockey and then take us through like your career a little bit. Yeah. So I started playing um, hockey when I, uh, I think I was maybe four or five years old. Funny enough, though, my start in hockey was a little bit different. Um, I actually went to a, I was in kindergarten, went to, um, actually a birthday party and it was a open skate or a public skate where he was, um, hosting it, um, at the edge ice arena on John street, which is a, a rink that's still there to this day. Um, I ended up going out there, really enjoying it, loving it. And then, um, a coach actually approached my family and was like, Hey, is this, you know, is this your son? Uh, is this his first time skating, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously we were completely new to this, you know, my yeah. family being, you know, from Poland and from Europe, I think soccer and, um, was a huge part of their culture growing up and football. Uh, yeah. Football. <laughs> yeah. Football. Yeah, it was a huge part of it growing up. So obviously hockey was just completely brand new to um, them um, when they told him that, yeah, it was just my first time skating, that he was kind of really impressed. And the way I I don't think I used the chair or anything like that, um, I was able just to, yeah, probably fell a couple, couple of times that I don't remember. But regardless, uh, that's what ended up happening. And then um, he actually convinced my family to uh, sign me up for hockey and and get into organized sports. Um, and and then it kind of just took off from there. And then I think the next week or the next couple of weeks, you know, I got my first pair of actual legitimate skates, not the uh, rental skates from the uh, ice rink where uh, probably hasn't been sharpened in a couple of years. Um, uh, and then started to going to as many public skates as I could. And number one, seeing if I still love this or like this, at least to continue pursuing it full time um, and actually getting the gear, the stick, the helmet, all that good stuff. Um, and that's what ended up happening. And I think I ended up signing up for the uh, Chicago Blues House League program 
Um, and then I, I think it took off from there, stayed at the Blues organization for the longest time. Uh, that's where I that's where I met uh, our dear Juking. friend, Ivan. Yes, sir. Nice. Yeah, that's where we met. I think it was on our might might team. Um, Bro, sorry to cut you off, but growing up too, um, the Steel were playing out of there, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, they were yeah. playing at the Jefferson one. Is that the the, the one bigger one? Down, like the, the bigger, yeah, yeah, like literally like down the street. Like I want to yeah. say maybe like less less than half a mile, not even. Um, it's a, it, obviously they played at the bigger rink, and um, and then we sometimes had practices there, or either at John Street. It really didn't matter where, considering the fact that I lived in Bensonville. Yeah. Um, so it was literally a five minute drive down the road, wherever um, we had practice at. And sorry, Matt, Ivan, I uh, might hear, I think we were seven or eight years old. Um, continuing on, stayed at the Blues for a little bit, then went on to play uh, for the Chicago Mission uh, for two or three years, my Wee year um, and squirt major year. Um and then ended up making the transition back to um, Blues for the longest time. And then for my U16 year, my second year, I know it's different this, uh, how hockey is now. But back in the day, we had, um, you know, Wee minor, Wee major, um, Banna minor, Banna major, and then U16 and then U18. So basically U16 year, my second year, my second year of midget minor, where I was still eligible to play U16, the Blues were not going to have a program uh, due to the lack of uh, kids yeah. that came out. Um, so then I had to quickly um, find another team while tryouts were going on. So I was in full-blown on um, panic mode. And um, I reached out to a couple of my buddies on seeing where they were going to be playing and a name that popped up was uh, Northwest Chargers. Okay. So I got, I got in contact with uh, the head coach there and luckily, luckily enough, you know him really well. Uh, I was, gonna say, was that Billy? Billy Carr. Yeah. Nice. Billy Carr was my head coach at uh, Northwest Chargers, reached out to him, got in contact with him, invited me out to a uh, couple spring skates. Uh, everything went well. He really liked what I brought and took me in a, um, took me aside. And I think before even tryouts, you know, were happening, you know, told me that I had a really good shot of making the team considering the fact that, like I said, um, it was in the middle of tryouts all, all across, um, Illinois. So I, I was obviously very worried. Um, just, be, just being able be, to like, just, find a spot. Just, be, just yeah. being able to play at, at the central states level, at the double A level. Um, so I didn't really have any expectations going to these skates or tryouts. You know, I, I was just luckily enough uh to try and make a team and continue playing, but I got really lucky where the Chargers were my first choice. Um, everything ended up working out, and we had a great team. That's where I met um Joey Daniels as well. I know you know Joey. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Small circle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's where I ended up meeting him, and then obviously Billy Carr um, as well. Uh, two people that you obviously are familiar with. Uh, we had a great season. I absolutely loved um, uh, that year. It was a really special year. We had a really uh, great team, and I uh, was really upset when uh, it all ended. 
Uh, U16 year, obviously, not the outcome that we wanted. I don't remember exactly how far we went in playoffs or in state, uh, but it was definitely um, uh, a heartbreaker to um, have the season cut short whenever it was. Uh, and then after that year, I ended up playing for the Chicago Junior Bulldogs. Um, also, instead I, of playing like U18s, mm-hmm. you play for – nice. That's yeah, cool. I just wanted to try out the junior scene. Uh, yeah. I think player with playing against older competition was something that I always wanted to do. Um, and then I played there for the entire year. Uh, realized that I was way too young. Realized that juniors is a business uh, more than anything. Uh, I was first introduced um, to uh, being scratched. Uh, as a player okay. yeah so that was the first time I, I just never understood it in amateur hockey and minor league hockey if you're on the team you play yeah and w- oh uh, sorry you at you, least dress yeah were you 17 at the time yeah yeah so I was one crazy. of the youngest yeah so I was one of the youngest players on that team um like I said great group of guys um uh had a really good uh learning experience that year uh, but then after the year ended, I wanted to, uh, go back to, uh, playing, uh, minor, minor league hockey. Like I said, I just didn't like the fact that I was on the team, but I was still getting scratched. And I understood that, um, that I was the youngest player, um, on the team. Um, and I just didn't like the fact that I wasn't playing whether or not it was, my lack of judgment maybe i wasn't good enough but remember i was only uh, you know 16 17 years old at the time so um i wanted to to go back to minor league hockey or uh in the central states (laughs) level that's exactly what i ended up doing i made a lot of great connections while i was at chargers and uh one of the connections that i made was with uh mike ruchinski he was the head coach at the u18 northwest chargers that year um uh, great coaching staff, uh, really welcomed me with open arms. They wanted me back. They wanted me, uh, last year to come back after my U16 year at chargers. Um, but like I said, I ended up going, uh, wanted to try like a new experience. You thought it was like, a yeah, good fit. yeah, a hundred percent, you know, uh, always, uh, always down for new experiences and new challenges, uh, whatever they are. Um, well, that's cool. That's cool. And it's like, you know, pretty under understated that, uh you it's kind of like how life works sometimes right like you went to go try this thing you're like oh this is awesome i'm gonna go play junior hockey and then maybe it wasn't uh, it, exactly it, what it you turns expected out 100 so. yeah and like i said it was a learning curve and i'm glad i did it um and then like i said uh u18 year played chargers uh for mike ruchinski um tom wallace and uh Tim or Tom Bristol, I apologize if, it's, if I'm mispronouncing his name. Uh, great, great group of guys that, uh, that year. Um, and then after that year, I uh, I aged out of obviously minor hockey or amateur hockey, whatever you want to call it. So it was either go to school, go to college, um, or try my luck again in juniors. I don't know how that I I still don't understand how this ended up uh, happening. Um, I was able to go away from home and play for the Minnesota, no, Maple Grove, Maple Grove Energy. Yep. Sorry. Are you you looking at my elite prospects right now? You ripped it up. Yeah. 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 So that was the same league that I played in 
when I played for the Bulldogs. Okay. So I had I had a little chip on my shoulder going <laughs> back to that league because I'm like, wow, now I really want to prove myself and be like, hey, like I didn't do so hot uh, my first year. I didn't play a lot. I didn't have too many points, but I want to go back um, to the Minnesota division. At that time, they had two different divisions, Great Lakes and um, and the Minnesota division. And I ended up going there. I I got to remember how I ended up getting like in con- contact. Making the connection. Yeah, yeah. Like, think about it. Minnesota, people <laughs> yeah. drove Minnesota. I, it's just um, – I got I got to really think about it because it was such a long time ago, obviously. Um, and then – I so I ended up going. My mom was really against it. No, no, stay. Just go to college. Like, all your friends are doing this. And I'm like, well, sorry. Like, I see – like – yeah, my friends from high school doing this, but then, you know, the friends that are hockey players are still trying their, uh, their hardest. They're also playing junior, junior hockey. So that's something that I wanted to do. And I wanted to move away from home and just focus uh, only on hockey. And that's exactly what I did. And I absolutely loved, loved, loved that experience. Great billet family, great coaching staff really supported me, really, uh, understood the way that I played the game. Um, uh, amazing teammates. I literally st- still talk to um, some of my teammates from what year was it? Uh, that was 14, 14, 15. Okay. So what is that? Eight years ago. I still have yeah. a group chat with some of these guys and I still nice. talk to them to this day. So that's yeah. how special that group was. Um, it was an uh, unbelievable experience. Um, fell short in playoffs, obviously. It was an absolutely a uh, long grind of a season. How many games did I play? I don't have my, uh, I think it was, it says, uh, well, are you saying during the regular season? Uh, just say regular season. Yeah. Yeah. Regular season 43. Yeah. And, so and 72 it, points. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was tough. That was the first year where obviously I was really like living on my own. I also worked at total hockey in Minnetonka, okay. uh, Minnesota. So shout out to them unbelievable staff took us in right away with, uh, with open arms. So every day I was going, waking up, eating breakfast, going to, um, practice, um, going to workouts, showering up, then heading straight sometimes to, uh, total hockey in Minnetonka, my little Honda civic and working there from, let's just say four to nine or 10, uh, PM every night, closing crew swept the floors, uh, mopped the mats, cleaned up the trash, all that good stuff. And then drove back home to, uh, Maple Grove, um, back to my billet house, ate, went to bed, repeat. I think it was exactly what I was looking for. And it was, a a lot of fun. Um, so after that season ended, there was a lot of speculation on exactly what I wanted to do. Um, next year I had, uh, a lot of NA3 um, offers, um, a couple NAHL um, interest. I don't want to say it was too crazy because um, it really wasn't. Um, and then uh, Tier 2 in Canada. So I, I, I had a, a couple options. I just wanted to see what my um, – uh, I wanted to see what my best options were. Um, I ended up tendering with the – they're, they don't exist anymore. Um, but this I Blind love, River team? No, no, no. Uh, in the NA3, lac- the lacrosse, the 
I keep forgetting what they're called. The lacrosse freeze, I think it was the NAA, uh, a, the NAHL affiliate of yeah. the um, Cooley region show. Okay. Yeah. Um, same team that uh, Brogan Rafferty played on for, I think, two or two or three years in the NA. I, I think you know who Brogan is. Yeah, I've skated with him a couple of times yeah. um, here with like the, the pro guys in uh, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So that's the team that he played for. And then obviously he was in the NA and then I tenored with the NA3HL due to the fact that I had really good um, connections with the coach that year. Um, ultimately just decided not to uh, um, pursue that. I had other options in Blind River, Ontario uh, in the NOJHL. Um Went up there for a little bit, uh, unfortunately got traded. Like I said, I was really heartbroken about that year due to the fact that, um, like I said, amazing team, great group of guys. I still communicate with some of them to this day. I still follow them on Instagram. I still follow them on Snapchat. Occasionally swipe up on their stories, see how they're doing. Um, uh, amazing billet family, uh, I want to say. And then I think maybe two months into the season, uh, right before we're supposed to, we're scheduled uh, to leave before a, a road trip. Uh, coach pulls me into his office and says, yeah, uh, you're uh, traded. And uh, I was really uh, emotional uh, due to the fact that I really did not want to leave. I, everything was going great. Well, uh, with the team, I loved everyone there. I loved my teammates. I loved my billet family. I love my billet brother. Uh, that year, um, so it was just new. Um, and then luckily enough, the person that traded for my rights was Doug Bossy's old teammate, Chris Walby. Chris Walby, um, Chris Walby is now the head coach and general manager of the Minnesota Mullets in the USPHL premiere. But before that, he was the head coach, general manager, um, of the Minnesota Iron Rangers in the SIJHL which is a league still going on uh, now. Yeah. So I ended up getting a call from him telling me, hey, we traded for you. Uh, let me know what you want to do. And I was like, oh, wow. Well, now I have another decision to make at, you know, 19 years old. Do I um, go to Point Lakes, Minnesota? Um, or do I go to... Um, closer to home in lacrosse, I think Wisconsin, I want to say that's where, uh, the, um, the lacrosse freeze, uh, we're out of in Wisconsin. So a lot closer to home. And, um, I had, I had a choice. I had a choice on exactly what I wanted to do. Um, ultimately I still wanted to play, uh, the highest level of hockey I could. Um, I, and then ended up, um, following through and drove, I want to say 11 hours from Blind River, Ontario, uh, Canada to Hoyt Lakes, uh, Minnesota. So that was a really interesting, uh, scary drive, 11 hours in a Honda Civic or a 2007 Honda Civic. Jeez. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, uh, really scary, uh, to say the least, but, um, yeah, everything uh, turned out well, got there safe and sound. Uh, like I said, um, um, uh, ended up getting there, ended up 
meeting everyone, meeting the captains, still talk to them to this day. I still follow them on Instagram. Some of them are getting married already. Some of them are already having kids. You know, I, you know, wish them the absolute best. I, uh, you know, comment on their Facebook posts here and there, like their posts, like their Instagrams, still communicate with a lot of them uh, still to this day. Uh, after that uh, season uh, was ended up cutting short, we ended up getting uh, pushed out of the uh, first round of playoffs. Obviously, uh, I know it's a little bit of a time crunch. I want to speed the uh, this up a little bit um, due to the fact that I could, you know, talk about my junior career forever um, and all the exciting things that happened in between that. Um, so yeah, don't, yeah, don't, don't mean to didn't mean to like cut you off or brush you off because, you know, you're going in a lot of like good directions. Um, which I want to, yeah, do like a part two, go like yeah, deeper into it. Cause I'm fine. sure you got a lot of good stories from that too. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Let me know when, whenever uh, we have to bring on our guest. Well, let's go ahead and do that now. Let's send it over to our guest, Tom Winkler. Welcome to episode nine, uh, TNP hockey, super excited for this, this episode and our, our next guest, um, give you a brief introduction. So our, our next guest, uh, Tom Winkler, who is from St. Louis, Missouri, um, coached just about everywhere under the sun and, and uh, in the U.S., um, you know, tier three juniors, spent time in the North American League uh, as coach in the, like in the professional ranks as well in the, the Southern Pro League, uh, most recently with uh, NCAA D1. Um, and then also spent some time in, in the AHL uh, with with Norfolk. And through this this tenure, you know, has got to see a lot of different experiences uh, from a coaching perspective, scout, player development, GM. Got to wear all the different hats. So, um, thanks for coming to the show, and uh, that yeah, happy to have you. Excited. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. So, um, how, how's everything going for you? Good, good. Uh, get a little bit of transition here, but um, finally starting to get some decent weather and enjoy a little bit of the off season. There you go. Nice. Are you, are you uh, in Huntsville, right? No, I'm in St. Louis right now. St. Louis? Still, okay. Still in St. Louis right now, yeah. 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 Awesome. Um, so I wanted to go back into, you know, your how you got into hockey, playing background, um, if, you, if you played at all, uh, going through your, you know, pulling up some research, going through elite prospects, see a lot of, like, coaching. Obviously, that's how we got that background. But um, growing up, did you did you play at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grew up, uh, grew up in St. Louis. Um, played club hockey here, uh, worked way up, um, played some triple a, uh, played some G and, uh, capped everything off. I was, I played a year at Norwich university, small division three school up in uh, Vermont. Um, had some, it was a, it was a military school and, uh, uh, my family, majority of my family is military with the exception of me. So, um, had some issues with that side of things and it didn't work out. Um, but uh, it was a great learning experience. Enjoyed my time at Norwich. Still, I'm still in contact with my coaches and uh, some of the guys that I played with. So it was a very influential time, but um, wasn't long enough. Uh, and again, that uh, kind of falls on me because it was an academic failure. Um, so kind of one of those things where when I when I first got into coaching, it was uh, took me a while to kind of figure it out, but. You know, once you start coaching, it's like you you learn from your own mistakes and didn't want any of the players to make the same uh, 
same mistakes that I did as far as failing out academically. So that was kind of the eventual motivation that led to uh, getting into coaching and doing it and doing it seriously and doing it passionately. And, uh, um, you know, had some really great coaches here that, that fostered a, a love of the game and some guys that really pushed me and challenged me and, um, you know, had a lot of success on some teams uh, growing up and playing and, um, you know, obviously close ties to the hockey community here still in St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, pretty, pretty important to, uh, to have those connections and kind of like you're saying, like, get back to the game, right? Like you've been through that experience. Um, Dan and I were talking before this too, um, you know, going out, doing your own thing, learning from like actually doing it. And you can always help like relay that story and that message too. Um, but I'm curious, how did you get from St. Louis to, uh, Norwich, which obviously is pretty far away. Like, how'd you make that connection? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because obviously we're talking a long time ago. We're talking late 80s, so I'm obviously dating myself. Um, there weren't certainly the options and pathways that these kids have now. I mean, there's so many different options that these kids have to keep playing. It's absolutely fantastic. And um, basically what had happened was um, I, I came across these guys. I was up at the, what used to be the old Chicago Showcase, um, which is now, I think, America's Showcase hosted in St. Louis. but was up there for, it was a senior, junior, senior high school all-star tournament. And uh, I actually had a pretty decent tournament and our team did fairly well. Um, and that's when I got in touch with the guys from there. And, uh, um, you know, kind of one of those things, I guess, now you'd call it the recruiting process took place. And, you know, it was, uh, at the time I thought it was a good fit and, and, and eventually made the decision to attend there. So uh, it was just a, Kind of one of those things. I had a pretty pretty decent tournament, and they must have watched some of the the games when I played well, and um, kind of just snowballed from there. Yeah, nice. It's cool that that works out, and you know, I know what you mean. Now it's totally different. Like a lot of different avenues, pathways to to keep playing, and you know, you got fortunate. Have a like you said, we're ripping it up in that tournament, and then uh, somebody was like, "Hey, got to give this guy a look." So that's cool. Um, you know after your time like playing at Norwich, is that where you first started coaching too? Yeah. Well, I actually, it's kind of interesting after that. I, I was only there for a year and a season. Um, I came back and I, I transferred to a small school up at uh, Northeast Missouri and I ended up playing soccer, um, played a couple years of soccer and then had a pretty serious back injury. Um, and came back that I had one more year of playing eligibility left, but I just wasn't feeling right. Body wasn't right. Um, there was a coaching change. And when the new coach came in, he's like, Hey, you know, he's like with your injury and your workload as a senior, would you be more interested in, in stepping into coaching and helping us out than, than playing at that point in time, the way I felt um, that was the decision I made. So actually, if you really want to look at it, my first coaching job was, was with a, a soccer team out of Northeast Missouri state. Um, and Mike Lynch was the guy that I, that was the head coach and he was an absolute unbelievable mentor um and he kind of fostered that started out and lit the spark um as far as the coaching flame went and um learned a lot from him and really had a passion for it and then when I graduated I came back to the St. Louis and I jumped right in coaching youth soccer and high school hockey right away and um had a lot of fun doing both and enjoyed it and then eventually had to make a make a choice um just because of time constraints and everything else and um, that's when I started to do more um, along the lines with hockey and really focused on that and kind of worked my way up through uh, 
you know, started out coaching JV and then worked up to the varsity and then ended up getting my own high school program here in St. Louis for three years and then got the opportunity to move out to Bozeman and jump into the junior ranks and kind of just snowballed from there again. Yeah, I, I was going to say, so that was your your first time coaching, like, I guess, uh, away from home is, uh, is Bozeman? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, what was that like? I, I noticed, I think, like the first, you know, maybe two years uh, or f- first few years was, you know, the AWHL and then yes. transitioned to the, to the NA. Was yeah. it, uh, I guess, was that like a you know promotion essentially, or was that uh, like, I guess, leagues kind of comparable at the time? Yeah, it was, it was a merger. Like when I first started um, the USHL did not have tier one status at the time. So the first two years we were there, the national tournament for juniors was the America West North American hockey league. And then USHL. Um, I believe it was uh, maybe by the second year. And again, I'm going back quite a few. So my timing may be off. Um, but once the USHL got tier one status, then the national tournament just became the North American league and the America West league. And then the following year, um, the America West merged uh, with the North American league. And that's really when it became the, I don't want to call it a super league, but it expanded and it took eight. I believe it was the eight America West teams joined the North American league. So you had a Western division, a central division and that type of thing. So, you know, it was at the time it was a really good, you know, it was a really good move. Um, It was good for the players as far as more exposure, a little tougher for the Western teams because travel increased quite a bit as far as showcases. I believe we did a showcase in Chicago and then there was another one in Boston. So the travel, you know, eventually that led to the downfall of some of the teams that came in um, at the start was the amount of travel that was increased. But, um, you know, it was a great experience. It was great for the players. Um, it put everybody on an even keel as far as recruiting at that time when it just became one league, because obviously even when we were the AW, you're still recruiting against the North American League, the USHL. Um, it was it was difficult. It was difficult to recruit against, uh, especially the USHL. Um, but you know, it was, it was, the programs out there were all great. Uh, the arenas were great. It was a, you know, very, very much a crowd driven, driven league. I mean, we had the amenities that we had in Bozeman were second to none. They were fantastic. And we were averaging 34, 3,500 people a night for a junior hockey game. And the atmosphere was electric. And, you know, obviously we had some, some strong team success. So it was a very good run out there. Yeah, that was uh, going to be my next question was um, when you stepped into that role, like, did you see success right away or did it take uh, a little bit of time to kind of develop, you know, your thought of how to like run the team and stuff like that? Um, well, when we first got out there, we we were new as a staff. Uh, John LaFontaine was the head coach and he brought in uh, Terry Mitro, the other assistant and myself. And um, So we were all new, getting to know each other the first year. Um, we had a very successful year. We finished a couple games over 500, made the playoffs. Uh, the year before, I believe the team had won single digits in games. Okay. Um, so Johnny came in and really, really established a fantastic, fantastic culture. And again, another unbelievable mentor. He was awesome to Terry and myself and worked with us and developed us and really challenged us. It was great. Like one of my vivid memories was like the first week we were up there, he's like, you know, you know, he looks at me, he's like, Tommy, you know, you are forward. So I'm assuming you want to run the forwards and work with the power play. And I'm like, absolutely. And he goes, well, guess what? You're going to run the D and do the penalty kill. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, all right. So I was like, <laughs> I guess I better get uh, figuring some things out here. So 
Um, he was awesome at doing things like that, challenging us, making us uncomfortable. Um, you know, and, and we, we had, we had great success. The second year we, we won the league regular season, won the playoffs. And then we ended up, um, we hosted the nationals that year and it was us and the Fernie ghost riders from, uh, the A-Dub and then, um, and then uh, it was Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Forge and CompuWare from the North American League. Um, so that was the last year we were we were separate. Um, and we ended up, I think, I don't think we, I think we finished fourth. Uh, we didn't have a real good national tournament, which was a little bit disappointing, but uh, it was still an amazing season. And, um, you know, again, it just, it was a transition. I mean, obviously, anytime you jump up levels, there's, there's that transitional year and um, learning new coaches and how they do things. And, um, you know, so it was, it was, it was fantastic. Just a great, everything's been a great learning experience. No question. Yeah. And I'm sure that's a, that was a great experience, you know, working with him too. Um, you know, pretty big, you know, well-known like hockey family as well. Did, yeah. uh, did his brother Pat um, ever come out and help yeah, out? He well? did. Yep. Yeah. Pat came out and visit, visited with us a few times, um, which was awesome. And then we also had uh, Brian Trache's brother, uh, lived in Bozeman for a little bit too. So we were fortunate to have Brian come out and spend some time with the team. And then we also had, um, uh, it was a player from back in the fifties and sixties in the NHL, Marty Pavlich lived in uh, big sky, Montana and Marty would come out and he would still put the skates on and tool around in practice. And, you know, he was kind of in that dynasty when they were winning cups in the fifties. So um, we had a lot of great references and, and people to to visit with and talk with and bounce ideas off of. And, um, so it was just a very good, very good uh, system we had there. Yeah, um, that, that's that's really cool. Probably a lot of, like you mentioned, um, he was challenging you guys a lot. Might have been like un- uncomfortable at times too, but um, cool. You know, learning a lot and getting to experiment and learn different things. So it's, it's cool to get pushed outside your comfort zone. Um, I was looking at uh, one of your next opportunities too was uh with Hampton and the yep, yep. road whalers so what was that like you know going from being assistant coach I know there was a little bit of time between then but uh then being the, the head coach and GM oh uh, so yeah there's like a was, lot of pressure in that yeah it, it it was a different um you know obviously I after I left Bozeman I went back to St. Louis for a couple of years and coached the St. Louis Junior Blues um and did a did a project called the Hockey Academy of St. Louis um which was partnered up with some blues players and was a kind of ahead of its time off ice training type facility. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, I did get the opportunity to go out to Hampton roads and take over a program. And at that point in time, I kind of felt, you know, I'd, I had spent quite a few years as an assistant coach and, and it was time to take that next step, um, be a head coach and take over a program and start to learn uh, quite frankly, more of the business sides of it. Um, you know, when you're, when you're a GM, there's a lot more to it than just coaching. You know, your, your, your coaching's maybe 10 to 12% of your day. Um, the rest of the time, if you're at a pay to play level, there's a lot of other things you're, you're engulfed in, um, whether it's player fees, it's billets, it's making sure the kids are in school. If they're not in school, making sure they're working, um, establishing those guidelines and staying on top of things. And, you know, kids are kids. They're going to test you. They're going to challenge you. So it keeps you on your toes. And, it's definitely a uh, 24-7, 24-7 when you're coaching, you know, the the tier three or pay-to-play uh, junior hockey levels. And even at, even at the North American League, there's still uh, quite a bit of leadership that has to be um, 
you know, again, it's a lot of those, a lot of those teams, whether they're the tier three or North American league, they're in small towns, small communities. Um, you've got to make sure that um, everybody understands what's ex expected and um, making sure the players understand that they're under the microscope and um, anything they do is a reflection of you as the GM and ownership. And, and you got to make sure that uh, they're towing that line. So there's a lot that goes into it other than just getting out on the practices. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, since we're on that topic, is there any good stories of, or examples, I should say, of the shenanigans that you've uh, experienced and had to deal with and, um, situations like that? Um, oh gosh. Yeah, there are, but we're talking statute of limitations and, uh, um, you know, kids are kids. They're going to test you. I, I, there was a, a funny story in, in, in Gillette one time I, I, I did curfew checks quite a bit just to, just to keep the kids honest. And, um, you know, we had a weekend off and, uh, um, is I decided to do the curfew check. So I'm driving around at one o'clock in the morning and, and I go to this particular house and a couple players are, you know, they're standing on the porch and they got cowboy hats and speedos on. They were waiting for me. And I, you know, I go to another house and the guy's got a, you know, big bird onesie on. So they all conspired to, to be dressed up and, you know, kind of mess with me because they knew I was going to be, be checking curfew. And it's kind of funny because the next day I actually got, some pretty hate tech players that were like, Hey, I was up, I was outside. I was, you know, know waiting for you to come by and you didn't show up when I had this costume on. So they were let down. They had, yeah, they, they were disappointed. They, they were disappointed that I didn't yeah. make the curfew check, but um, you know what, honestly, in, in, in all seriousness, I was very fortunate because very few, very few issues, um, you know, nothing to the point where, you know, it brought embarrassment to programs or, or anything like that. So, um, you know, kids are kids they are going to test you with the typical stuff, but, um, you know, I had strong support from ownership that if guys did cross the line or broke team rules, that, that it didn't matter who the player was, if he was a first liner or a fourth liner, the consequences were the same. So, you know, we always strove for that consistency and wanted to, you know, wanted to make sure that, you know, the guys, we always wanted to have the message that, you know, once you, you come into town, you cease to exist as an individual, you're a part of something bigger and all the good stuff that we do community wise, charity wise, all that can be ruined with one, with one stupid incident. And we need to really make sure that you guys understand that and players understand that. So we can go about and do our thing. And, and obviously, you know, with, with junior hockey, it's, you want people to come and support the team and, and buy tickets and merchandise and watch the games and, if you're doing all the right things in the community, then those things happen. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was always our, that was always our goal. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, pay to play, uh, I guess tier three, and I'm sure, especially being GM, um, you had a lot to do with, you know, developing relationships with sponsors and, um, probably a lot of like community outings, kind of like charity events, like you were just mentioning too. So, um, it's important to keep that like relationship together and, um, I'm sure that helped bring sponsors into the, to the ring too. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, like I said, you know, you spend, you spend a lot of your time in the mornings. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because people don't understand how expensive it is to run these teams. And a lot of these owners, 
at the end of the year, they're taking money out of their family and their personal accounts because, you know, costs and things happen and, and, you know, all of a sudden fuel prices increase. So your quotes that you get on your bus trips, just all of a sudden they're five, $600 more than they were than when you did your budget. So um, you're always looking for ways to generate that extra revenue and, and keep costs down. Cause eventually that's, you know, that's my one big issue with the sport right now is that we've got to figure out a way to get these costs under control so we can keep kids playing. Cause I just think it's, it's gotten to the point where, you know, you want to provide the opportunity for everybody, but when you start to play these upper level of levels of hockey and elite triple A and all this other stuff, the, the price tag is, is too hefty. So yeah. we've got to figure out a way to curtail that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if here, really, really quick. Yeah. Let me, let, let me step in here. I, I I've been milking this too long. You were talking about a little bit about uh, Gillette, right? Yeah. Gillette Wild, NA3HL. NA3, yeah, HL. All right. Let me know if you recognize these two two names I'm, I'm about to say. One, Bryce Mitzel. Yeah. Okay. Sam Cerrone. Yeah. Okay. Give yep. me your best Bryce Mitzel story from Gillette. Oh, gosh. I know, yeah. See, he, um, was, he was my best friend at Finlandia. We were line mates, teammates, very close on and off the ice. Um, he might make the cut to my wedding. Let's just leave it at that. Ah, you know we're, what? It's um, very close. The, the thing I remember about Mitz is that he's a he's a uh, South Dakota kid. Um, Correct. He's Rapid City. <laughs> Correct. And, um, yeah, not too much going on over there. Excuse me. And uh, he had been playing. He had been playing juniors somewhere. I don't remember where, and even yep. if I did remember, I wouldn't say, because I, I don't believe he had a real good experience. And I remember um, our owner, Dwayne Dillinger, had called me at one point. He's like, hey, we've got a kid from Rapid that is really kind of trying to figure out what to do. He's not sure if he wants to keep playing. He's, you know yeah, how he's on the you bubble. get, to, yeah, you, you get the these bubble. kids that have played juniors for a couple of years, and they haven't had the best experiences, and they're good hockey players, but they're like, should I go to school? Should I pack it in? What should I do? Yeah. Should I get a so job? We met just, with Bryce came out and we met with him and his dad and uh, had an unbelievable conversation. And just, I, I even, even though the conversation was great, I walked out of there and I'm going, I don't know if we can, I don't know if what we, we can provide with all that we do is what this kid needs right now, just because he's so, I don't want to say depressed. I don't want to say burned out, but he was just, it was almost like he was over it. Just just done, um, you know, just, just done with hockey because it hadn't been fun for him. And it got to the point where like, you know what, come out for a weekend, play a couple games, give it a, give it a try, get to know the boys. And, you know, he came out, played a weekend, had a real good weekend, melded in with the guys. Great. And I don't think he took a smile off his face the rest of the year. And, uh, he was a key player for us. Um, he ended up playing, like you said, college hockey, and I just, I just remember that meeting because it was like, man, I hope this kid doesn't pack it in because I think there's so much more there. He's just got to find the right environment that he can thrive in and make the game fun again. At the end of the day, if the game's not fun, then nobody's doing their job. So that, that would probably be the thing I remember about Mitz was just, you know, great family. I love the family. The unbelievable 100%, people. Yeah, great um, people. And I, I just, you know, I just remember him coming in and he was just, just a spark and just did a lot of great things for us. And I think it was just because 
he enjoyed playing the game again. He, he had fun. And, you know, Gillette was a great environment, small town, very small town. Um, we had an unbelievable arena. We had great crowds. It was hard not to get excited about playing on Fridays and Saturday nights there. Um, now, Sam on the other side. Yeah, um, <laughs> I knew that was coming. Sam was, Sam was awesome. He was just – I just remember – you know, and again, you got to forgive me because we're going back many years here. No, 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 you're fine. And that, and that's why I wanted to um, uh, talk to you about it due to the fact that I like, I, obviously, uh, with technology nowadays and elite prospects, I was like looking at it and and I was like, oh, head coach, GM, Gillette Wow. And like, I know people that have, I physically know people that have played for Gillette. And the first um, thing, uh, 2014 to 15, I click on, Boom, Bryce Mitzel and um and Sam Cerrone. Cerrone's uh Illinois boy. That's yes, how we know. Yes. And he was Sam was one of those kids that he he would do anything to win because he he was and we got to a point of, at one point, I believe we were short of some forwards. And it's like, hey Sam, we might need you to play forward. And he's like, me. He's like, let's go. Um, yeah. but he was one of those guys that just such a great personality, just happy go lucky. Smiling all the time. Yep. You know, I, I, he's one of those guys. If we had a, you know, a hard practice and I skated him at the end, he'd still be smiling. He just, 100%. he loved to play. He loved to be around the rink. He loved to be around the boys. Um, he was just that, that energy, that energy personality that when he was at the rink, you knew he was there because you could always hear him. He was loud. Um, but just, just a great, great kid. I was so lucky with those teams. We had, you know, we had such a such a good run there. And uh, this is the first year, the first conference call I was ever on. Um, we were an expansion team that year. And after the call was over, a couple of the owners stayed on and they were asking me, you know, how's recruiting going? You know, and and, and one of the guys at, at that time said, listen, he's like, Winks, we know you. We know you're a competitor. We know you want to win you're not going to win 10 games this year. So you need to kind of change your mindset as to wow. how things are going to go and just get a feel for it and take this year to learn things. And I'll be honest with you, that, that kind of pissed me off. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, I signed and laminated it and we had it in the locker room that the first thing I told the boys at our season meeting is I said, listen, let's understand one thing right now. We are all the land of misfit toys. We're, we're the guys that nobody wanted. And I said, there's there's people in this league that don't think we're going to win 10 games. And this group of kids that first year, it was a mission. And we, you know, we went through ups and downs. We struggled. We'd, we'd win a big game and then we'd go get blown out by hell in a 10 nothing the next night and have to put the pieces back together. But at the end of the year, we finished 23-23-2. We made the playoffs over two teams that were not expansion teams. Um, that it had a year or two under their belt. Um, and that was, you know, in, in all my years of doing this, there's obviously tons of memories and teams you're always proud of and this and that. But that group was that group was something special because every single one of us, myself included, we had we had a chip on our shoulder. And, and after we won like the 15th or 16th game, I saw that person who made that comment. And I'm just like, ah, 10 games, huh? Like, we're not done yet. And it was uh it was it was a great place incredible place and it's great to see they're having success now well the na3 is still that uh that's sam gate talk about 
uh, competing and kind of said, sounds like the rest of that team would, would, was the same way to having the chip on their shoulder. That Sam yeah. kid, was he kind of big, bigger too? Like, would he, would he mix it up? Yeah, he, Sam came around a little later. Um, I want to say Sam was probably my third year. Okay. Uh, the third season I was there. Um, yeah, he was, Sam was gritty. Sam, Sam played hard. We, that's, that's kind of the way all the teams I had there were, was we're not, we skill, we had some upper end skill, but we didn't have four lines that were going to, you know, play like the University of Minnesota does, where it's just unbelievable pretty hockey. I mean, we had guys that were going to go hard to the net and we're going to play till the whistle and, um, you know, we're going to protect the front of the net at our end and we're going to crash the net at the other end. And um, we were always good on walls. We won a lot of wall battles and played physical and things of that nature. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it's for me, competing is a big thing. You have to compete. If you don't compete, you don't want to win battles. And, you know, there's a lot more skill in the game now. We all know that. Well, all, what these kids can do, you watch what these young kids are doing in the NHL right now. It's it's disgusting how 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 much skill they have and how good they are and their hand-eye coordination and all that. And um, we had guys that could put the puck in the net, but we also had guys that could run you over. And if you uh, if you wanted to cross the line, they weren't afraid to cross it with you. So really quick, uh, one one or two more things to add. Um, uh, me and Sarge were talking about it a little bit before um, my junior hockey experience, his junior hockey experience and all that good stuff. Um, obviously, you were the head coach GM for numerous teams. I want to get a coach's GM's perspective on what goes um, through your head, your mindset on you're about to cut or trade a player. Okay. This um, is like the first time we've talked about this, I think, on this podcast. I mean, yeah. episode nine, um, maybe Sarge was a little bit too too scared to ask, but you'll, well, once it's, you'll it's, get it's, to know me more. But I'm funny. I want to make content, all that good stuff. But then also I'm interested to see because I have been traded before and I was very emotional in my um, career when I got traded, but then everything um, ended up turning out okay and well. Um, but I just want to know, I've never had to do that before. Yeah, you know, I've never had to tell a player, hey, well, you're, it's, cut, it's, you're traded. It's a tale of two situations, and I'll explain both. When I was in Bozeman in the A-Dub in the North American League, when it was the Tier 2 level, it's, it's, it's a little bit heartless, and it's a little bit vicious. Um, a great example is the first time I had to cut a player that I recruited, um, and he was a kid that came in and was a good hockey player, but kind of, you know, you know, off ice and, and just not, yeah. just not getting yeah, just, it. Wasn't just checking all the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, just not he getting wasn't it. Fully committed. And, and he was, you know, he was my recruit, my player. So um, Johnny's like, I'd like you to handle this. And it's like, all right. Um, and basically it was a, a kid that was from far away from Bozeman. And I just brought him in and I said, listen, things aren't working out here. You got to go. You got 24 hours because we got another kid coming in and we need your house. Um, and it was awful. Um, but it was what needed to be done at that particular situation. And, uh, you know, this particular player was like, well, do you have another team? Am I being traded? And I'm like, no, you're being released. Yeah. You know, at this point in time, we've had multiple conversations. You've been late for meetings. You've missed this. 
you know, you sat in one particular meeting with sunglasses on. It's like, you know, there's certain signs here that this isn't working. Um, and that was it. And that was one of those ones where even though it was it needed to be done and the time was for it to be done, it's always bothered me because it was just heartless. So you're just walking out and you're like, this is this is heartless, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's also what happens after two no pay to play level. That's, you know, that's, that's how it goes. Um, now that, that was the most ruthless I think I've, I've ever been. And, uh, you know, obviously I remember it vividly, so it's not something that I'm proud of, but it was something that needed to be done. Um, I do think the kid ended up latching on with another team. So like you said, sometimes these things work out and, um, work out for them. Um, the tier three pay to play level, I was always, maybe I'm kind of the outside of the bell curve on this. Um, I always looked at it as, as when people were, were paying us, they're customers. Um, and I, if you, if you go back and look at my, my rosters at the tier three level, I didn't have a lot of player movement. I didn't go through 40, 50 guys a year. Um, and some people would say, well, that's probably your downfall because your loyalty and, you know, you stick with kids longer than maybe you should. But I also think it's a huge responsibility of us that when you take a kid on and they're paying money to play there, that unless unless it's it's an obvious rule violation or law, they break the law, they break team rules. Um, you know, I really did make a lot of trades. Um because I felt it was my responsibility to develop those kids and I brought them in and I recruited them. So they were my responsibility. Um, if it got to the stages, which I did on a few occasions, I, before I would even consider trading a kid, I would talk to the kid and I would talk to the parents because again, there's money involved. There's finances involved. It's, it's a huge commitment on the parents. They trusted their child to me. And if this situation isn't working out, the last thing that I'm going to do, is I like to think I'm a decent guy. The last thing I'm going to do is just trade somebody without talking to them, you know, because and it's pay to play. So I think, you know, there was one particular situation. I'm like, look, it's not working out here. You're not happy. You're not going to get the ice time here. This team I've already talked to and they've expressed interest in you, but I want to make sure you're okay with going there. And I want you to call your parents and let them know that it's an option. And if everybody's okay with it, then I'll proceed I'll proceed with the trade and make the deal. Um, and I had several situations like that where it worked out. And then there were other situations where the parents were like, listen, we'd rather you just outright release him so we can bring him home and he can go play in another league. And I never, never held anybody hostage. I never, never used a pay to play player as, as, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to not do something to help you. I'm not going to make you sit out for a month and punish you for a situation that's not, not working out. You know, um, I tried to be as, as fair as I possibly could when it came to that, because I do think it's, you know, pay to play hockey to me is different. It's a customer based mentality. It's not, you know, tier two where kids are here and coaches jobs are on the line a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more pressure to win. There's a lot less time to develop. Um, where at the, the pay to play or tier three level, your job is to make these kids better. Your job is to mentor them and to help them get to where they ultimately want to go. So, um, you know, that's awesome. At, at the SP level, you know, it's it's 
again, it's a little bit ruthless. It's pro hockey guys are showing up every day and competing every day is a tryout. And, you know, sometimes guys make it and they don't. And some guys, sometimes they last longer than you think. And, you know, they get lucky because of injuries or whatnot, but eventually you see that they're not in the plans down the road. So you try and make those, those adjustments as quickly as you can. So those guys have a way to find another place to play. Yeah. I uh, kind of, to like reemphasize what you're talking about, uh, similar situation. Um, what was it? Two years ago, started in uh, Columbus, Georgia. And uh, I think I played like four games. Uh, we were at home. I had an opportunity to go play five games for Quad City. So get called over to the, to the SP. Um, I didn't. And then it was like the same week, you know, like you said, you might not be that person that whoever thinks you're, you're the guy to, to make things happen or make things work, but got traded over to Carolina too, which, you know, I think was super, uh, super positive environment for me where I got opportunity to, to play a little bit more, um, be the kind of go-to guy for, you know, maybe some, some toughness and stuff like that too. So, um, like you said, I think there are times where guys get complacent, um, but especially at that level where it's you're not, you know, like you said, customer base, giving somebody some money um, to, to play. You're you know now the guy like, hey, we're giving you checks every week. Like today is the day to show up. So it's cool, uh, cool, different environment to be a part of. Yep. What do you got, Dan? This is the, the longest I've seen you be quiet uh, since I've known you. Well, I'm, I'm just letting you guys talk. I'm literally just like I said, I'm a co-host once. Once I find something that uh, interests me, uh, I'll I'll uh, go ahead and ask it. Let me know. Uh, give me one sec. Continue on, I, Sarge. Keep yeah. What well, I got one about uh, you know your your time in Norfolk. Um, yeah. how, how did that all come about? That's a great that, that that whole thing was just an amazing amazing adventure. So I was running the the Hampton Roads Whalers program out of there, and um, Mike Butters who was the GM in the hell with the Helena Bighorns Big when Horns, I was out. Right? Yes. Yeah. He would, he became the GM of the Norfolk Admirals. Um, the one of the, I think it was a second, second or third year. I was in Hampton by second year. And of all things, the story cracks me up because he called me and he's like, you know, I knew he was coming to town. He knew and played against our owner in Hampton, him and Pat Cavanaugh were buddies. So, um, you know, when Butsy came to town, we, we had a party at Kavanaugh's house and we're hanging out just visiting. And one day on a whim, he calls me, he's like, Hey, I need a huge favor. I'm like, what do you need? What can I do? And he's like, I need you to referee our training camp scrimmage, which, you know, anybody who knows me, I I'm, I'm, I am good to referees. I, I, I love referees. I have so much respect for them. It's the hardest job in the world, but I didn't referee much. And, and I, I did it when I first started coaching because I got in trouble with the guy that I was working for. Cause I wouldn't shut up. I was barking at him and I was coaching his JV team. And he basically said, if you want to come back in my program, you're going to do certain things. And one of them was, you're going to start refereeing. So you shut up and have a better appreciation for what they do. So being cocky, like I was at the time in my young twenties, I was like, oh, I don't want to start with squirts and peewees. I want to do Bantam and midget games. And a midget game and I swear to God I had to run out the back door I was so bad um so fast forward Butsy calls me and asked me to referee these scrimmages and I'm kind of laughing because I'm like oh God this is going to be atrocious and and actually had a blast with it the guys were great um was a wonderful experience I did it through most of the training camp scrimmages and then when we were done 
him and Darren Rumble, who was the head coach, they, you know, they're like, hey, let's go grab some lunch before you head back to the rink. And, you know, Butsy's like, hey, would you like to get involved with us? And I'm like, I would absolutely love to get involved. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And the position was kind of, the, you know, it was kind of an intern, intern coaching position. And obviously, you know, the junior team and my responsibilities with that came first. But, um, you know, and eventually I was there maybe twice a week for practices. And um, during home games, uh, you know, I would be up in the press box and I would either whatever they needed that day, if, if the other guy who was kind of helping out, wasn't there doing video, I would do video um, chart stats, you know, things like that, run down in between periods, visit with them. Um, and uh, you know, just, it was, it was, I did it for three seasons. Um, the first year was fantastic and um, ended up going on the road with them and was on the bench for the last four games of that first year. And, road trip was amazing. Um, great group of guys, great memories. The second year, there was a little bit of turmoil. There was a lot of coaching changes. Tampa was kind of in turmoil. They had some owners that were kind of going back and forth at each other. And, um, you know, so there was, there was a little bit, a little bit of uneasiness, I guess, with the second year. And then the, the last year I did it, uh, was John Cooper's first year down there, uh, when Coop took over, um, and the new ownership group and all that. And, um, I was, I was still involved. I wasn't, wasn't as heavily involved on the ice and things like that as I was the first two years. Um, it was more just starting things, helping, you know, helping with video, helping with stats, things like that. Um, so it was a three-year deal and then eventually ended up heading out to Gillette after that third season. But, um, it was, it was quite an experience. Saw a lot of cool things, met a lot of really unbelievable people, um, there were a lot of great people involved with Tampa, Tom Curvers, um, like I said, Julian Breezebois, Steve Eiserman, all those guys, they came down the last year. So getting to meet those guys and interact with them a little bit was fantastic. Um, Darren was great. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was down there, Lee Mendelson. So a lot of, a lot of hockey people that came through, a lot of great guys um, learned a ton. Yeah. I was just going to, that was going to be my, my next question. Was there a lot of, things that you like picked up there that you would um, take back to use with uh, either Hampton or, or the junior teams? Oh, absolutely. Um, everything from, you know, X's and O's and, and, you know, obviously styles of play and skill development, things like that. Um, the biggest thing I think was, was people skills, um, you know, and those guys in the American league, I don't think people realize how difficult it is for, for those coaches, because there's a lot of things that happen that aren't necessarily under their control. Um, you know, you've got guys under NHL contracts that are down there. They got to play, um, you know, so there's there's a lot of people management, personality management. Um, Coop was the one thing, I mean, learned a ton of things from all these guys, but the one thing was a real stickler about that I, I love and try to do as much as possible ever since I learned it from him. But he wanted the coaches, the coaches, the trainers, the equipment guys, he wanted everybody to have five non-hockey interactions with every player between Monday and Thursday, which was, you know, he was a master at it. Like he'd skate around before practice and just skate up to guys and be like, Hey, how's the apartment? How's it going? You know, you're recovering from an injury. How you doing? Your wife's not here. How you doing? How's the family? Um, and that's, that's one of the things that I think is such great lesson because you're with this at any level, your players, if they, if they don't feel that there's some type of support from you or some type of 
respect and you don't care about them, then you can't ask them to do certain things and you can't expect certain things out of them. And I think you listen to interviews for all these players that, that played for Coop and, and a lot of these other guys, it's, they always say he's a player's coach and he's, he's a player's coach because he cares about his people. And yeah. I think that's, you know, that, that is, that is so huge. And that's, that board where all the check marks and if guys didn't have the check marks done by the end of the, he was on them, you know, and, and I think it was just a, just a great thing. And and I did that a lot with our, with our guys in the SP because new guys coming in and this and that, and, you know, that's how you get to know them and that's how you build relationships. And um, that's when you have teams that win championships. It's, it's, it really is that it's overused, but everybody says it's a family culture, but there's a really a lot of truth to it. Yeah. Um, you touched on Huntsville uh, and the SP. Is that uh, were you there when they've won championships? Yes, I, I, I was think they have back, recently, right? Yeah, I was actually back last weekend for. Um, I was a, a part of the team for seventeen, eighteen, and eighteen, nineteen. Um, okay. I volunteered for three years, and then the last two years I was there, I had a dual position uh, coaching spot, and then also did. Uh, corporate stuff up in the front office. So it was unbelievable experience, unbelievable organization. Um, I don't know if you had the chance to play there when you were in the league, but it's just a Huntsville's an unbelievable hockey community. And uh, that organization is, is second to none. No question. Nice. Um, want to, to get to your most recent one um, experience, but before that uh, I was curious. So being a scout for the NA, like what, yeah. What does that all entail? Um, what do you look for? Are you going to a bunch of tournaments, stuff like that? Uh, I, you know, I would say like when I'm watching players and this is the cool thing about hockey is you put 10 coaches in a room, you throw a kid up on the board, you're probably going to get six to seven different opinions on that player. Um, you know, what do, what do I look for? I obviously, you know, can the kid skate? Um, you know, does he understand the, the nuances. Does he understand how to protect the puck? Does he understand um, work away from the puck? Um, is he competitive? Does he go to the dirty areas? Is he, you know, is he a perimeter player? Um, you know, yes. Does he have a lot of skill, but is he willing to block a shot if need be? Um, you know, all those types of, all those types of different things are, are, you know, really the things that I key on. Um, I like to watch kids a couple times. Um, just to kind of see where the consistency level is, because obviously when you're dealing with 15 to 20 year olds, consistency is, is what you strive for, but it's also the hardest um, to bring every day. Uh, you know, so if I see a kid that, yeah, he's got good skill, but you know what, one day his hands aren't there and he's fumbling puck. He's hard in on the four check. He's, he's battling on face-offs. He's um, back in the D zone, you know, hard to play against, you know, then you're going to sit there and say, okay, this kid's got, He's got the brains going. He understands. He understands his game. He's self-aware, um, you know, and, and he can figure things out. If, if one skill set's not going, he knows how to make up with it with uh, with other avenues of his game. So um, it's, I mean, it's just you sit and you watch hockey. And a lot of times, you know, you go to a game and you may have two or three kids that you want to see. Um, but the cool thing is when you're watching a game and all of a sudden you just start noticing some other kid. Um, wow. You know, every time I see this kid on the ice, he's, he's making a subtle play here and there, or he's not getting beat one-on-one -on -one, or his feet never stop moving, you know? So all of a sudden you go in there looking at three particular kids, but you come out with a list of 10 
because you saw things out of other kids. So now all of a sudden your, your player pools expanded and, you know, now you've got more kids to keep an eye on as the season goes on. So um, I think it's, you know, it's, again, everybody likes different things. It's, it's so cool because there's no, there's no right or wrong answer, but at the end of the day, a kid can either play or he can't play. And that's what you have to determine. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask a question that I know Dan is thinking about. Are uh, our free agent camps, are those a hoax? For, are you talking SP or? No. Well, sure. You could um, touch on the SP or either tier three or. Tier, uh, um, you know, uh, at the tier three level, um, we did not do many tryout camps. Um, I was lucky, you know, and, and again, I had a lot of relationships with North American League guys. Um, here with total package hockey and point mallard um we had an affiliation with shreveport so obviously that was my connection and i did a lot of recruiting and um you know we would have a large shreveport would only do one camp one main camp um and it was pretty good size and you know there were a lot of kids that um that i figured were going to end up playing with me but i wanted them to see what it was like at that level and that competition level so for me, recruiting wise, it was like, listen, I can show you an opportunity to be seen at Shreveport's camp, get you in front of those guys. And if it doesn't work for you, then you can come back and, you know, you have an option with me, um, which was a great recruiting tool. Um, and there were, again, there were a lot of those kids that went, um, you know, to those camps and, and either ended up doing well in Shreveport or other North American League teams or ended up back with, with us. Um, I don't really believe at the, the tier three level that you should try and do tryout camps and things like that, just for the sheer fact that a lot of the kids that are going to end up playing you, they're going to do the pre-draft camps and the North American League combines and camps like that, um, which I think are, you know, the North American League does a nice job now with these combines. It brings kids in, brings scouts from all over. So I think from a parental standpoint, Parents aren't running around from open camp to open camp to open camp. I think you're seeing the open camps go away. Um, you do see the pre-drafts, which are necessary for the teams to increase their player pools, and you see the main camps. But I think because of the combines and things like that, that the, the open camps have kind of gone away, which personally I think is a good thing. I don't yeah. think there there needs to be too many of those. Nice. Yeah, I know a kid that I used to coach a few years ago, he's in 08, was just at one of the the combines for, for the NA. So um, it's cool. Still keeping in touch, keeping those relationships. So the dad was texting me and I um, guess he was crushing it. So always happy to hear that stuff. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, wanted to, you know, you've been super gracious with your time. Um, wanted to jump into like your most recent experience. So um, you were with Lindenwood this year. Yes. And that, yep. so uh, this was their first year. Um, with an NCAA uh, D1 program? Correct. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, how, how did you make that connection? Um, how did you make the connection there? Um, the head coach there, Rick Sambo, Rick and I had, had known each other for many years. Um, and really it was just a by chance thing. I was up in St. Louis visiting and he reached out in the summertime and he was looking for a staff member, uh, wanted to know if I was interested and it just kind of went from there. Um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, was an amazing year, absolutely amazing year. Um, learning, learned a ton. Um, the level of competition that we played at, uh, the venues, 
that we played at the experiences um you know it was it was amazing and, and credit to our players our players battled and competed hard every single night every game um and honestly you know the first two weekends we go into Mariucci and Yost um 14 14 draft picks on Minnesota playing the first night um and our kids battled. I mean, we had respectable scores against those teams. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was amazing. Like I, I, I got to tell two quick stories that is on the bench at Yoast and in, in Yoast arena in Michigan, they have what they call the children of children the children of Yoast. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I've never been insulted and called so many different things and so many names. Um, I was, on, such an easy I was such an easy target because I'm not a tall guy. And I'm telling you what, I just, I sat there and I remember going, this is awesome. I am getting absolutely chirped, carved up, humiliated, insulted. And I just couldn't stop grinning. I, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, the, the experiences were just phenomenal. And we had a, it was one of the games against Minnesota. I don't remember which one, but we had a four on four situation and, uh, they put out Faber, Lacombe, Nyes, and Cooley. Uh-huh. And the puck never touched the ice on the opening and the faceoff in our zone. The guy batted it out of midair. It, it was like, I mean, it was just the way these kids moved the puck, and then they moved. I think Lacombe, Lacombe threw it to Faber. Faber walked the line, threw about a three-foot three foot sauce pass. Nice just skates by, moving screen in front of the net, and just redirects it in the upper corner. After about 45 to 50 seconds of nothing but straight dominance and puck control, and our poor kids come off the ice and they're looking at us like, what are we supposed to do? And it's like, maybe next time break somebody's ankle because you're not gonna, you're not gonna stop these kids. Their their skill level was just, you know, off the charts. The huge kid from Michigan, it was like pond hockey for him. Um, but again, you know, our guys went in there and you know, once they got over the, you know, the the environment and and battled and played. I mean, we had Minnesota down three to two for about 10, 11 minutes, the second game. And our guys were going and they were playing hard and playing without fear. Um, and it was really fun to watch. It was fun to watch as the season went on with their confidence um, and their ability to go into the Wisconsin's, the Denver's and, and not be intimidated. I mean, we had, we had Denver two to two um, with less than two minutes to go the second game there. I mean, we played just unbelievable and, then, of course, one of their NHL draft picks said enough of this, and he goes out and, and buries one to get the winner for him. But, um, you know, again, it was just the, the, the skill level, um, you know, even with our kids at practice, just, you know, the little things that they excel at and, you know, where they're at and how good those kids are. And then you see just, you know, then you see the kids at the Michigans, at the Minnesotas, at the North Dakotas, at the Denvers. It's, it's such an appreciation of where – where the skill level is at right now. Um, but amazing, amazing experience. The, the places we went to and the arenas we played in were just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, obviously as from a coaching standpoint, you appreciate that skill. And I'm sure like the guys do too from some point, but, you know, I'm sure seeing the, the different levels to the game and where certain guys are at, like kind of will light a fire too. Like, man, there's another level to get to try to get to it. So um, that's cool. And kind of like what you mentioned, it's awesome seeing how much they would compete like that, looking up the scores and um, how the season went like that first game, you know, shut out for nothing, but the next night come back and 
like you mentioned, have a really good game where, you know, it's a two goal game, four to six game. And yeah, you, know, you might have an off night, but the next night the boys were, it seems like the repeat theme was always coming back the, the next night stronger. Yep. Yep. No, it was, it was, again, it was, you know, just seeing where those levels are at and then seeing how our guys responded was, it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, really quick. Uh, of all the venues you played at, give me your top two uh, favorite places to play at. That we did this past year. Correct. Um, the fact that you guys went to North Dakota and I think the score final score was three to four. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, at, North, at North Dakota as well. I, I, I have a sen- I'll give you a sentimental favorite um, first. Um, we played UVM. And uh, when I was in Norwich, we actually played in that. I got to play in that building. It was really cool going back and seeing how much it hadn't changed in in thirty plus years. The the gut the gut is what they call it. It's Gutterson Fieldhouse. Um, it was it was like walking back in for me. It was like I was just there. It was it was crazy um, walking back in there and seeing it and jumping back on the ice for practice. It was a uh, for me, that was that was a special place because it was cool to go back to a building that I had actually had the privilege of playing in many many years ago. Um, man, when it when it comes to the other ones, it's just it's so hard it's so hard to pick because yeah, they're all just you were you were everywhere Minnesota, I mean, Michigan, Michigan, uh, Denver, North Wisconsin, Dakota, Minnesota, Denver, yeah, ASU. Um, yeah, the the what, what, the is, what do they call it? The Mullet the, Arena. The that's mullet. right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know what? I'll be honest with you. That's an incredible, incredible college building, incredible atmosphere. But it's an absolute embarrassment that an NHL team plays there. Yeah. <laughs> we I, just I, couldn't I, stop. I mean, for, from the college environment, it was awesome. Awesome place to play. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to honestly, I'd have to go back to I'm going to have to call it a tie because Vermont would be for me personally, number one. But then Minnesota and Michigan. We're tied for two. Mariucci um, and uh, Yost, huh? Yeah. Yost was just, I mean, it was just, Aronson was there and he came down and popped in the locker room and said hello to us. And, um, you know, Mariucci's just, I mean, you know, you kind of walk around a little bit and you just look, they have a wall that's like their Hall of Fame wall for all the guys that have played in the NHL and the Olympics. And, you know, you're just, you're just like, this is, this is amazing. I mean, this is, yeah, yeah, the this is incredible. And, yeah. You know, Wisconsin, Wisconsin has the same feel. North Dakota has the same feel. Um, they're just, they're special places. I mean, they're, they're, they're bucket list places that we got to go to this year. So it was, again, it's really hard to, hard to pick, but the sentimental one makes it easy for me. But then the others, yeah. it's just like, man, they're all just all fantastic. Yeah. You, a lot of young bucks. I was just looking through the roster and, um, to go up against the the lineup uh, that you guys have, like the the schedule, so a lot. I think what only a handful of seniors, like yeah, we had a couple through, grad like, students, two seniors, yeah. and a couple grad students. Yeah, so that's huge. A lot of learning experiences for those guys. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, really quick, uh, what was the feeling like in the locker room um, after your very first win as an NCAA program against another NCD? NCAA program uh, against Air Force. Air Force. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty awesome. That was, that was, and it was cool because it was actually the first home game. Yeah. Um, if you I'm look at our schedule, yeah. we, we played a majority of the games on the road this year. Um, we played two, a lot. 
two lot. home series. Yeah, Air Force and Stonehill. We were three, three and one at home. It's like which, maybe we should get, should which get is more shocking home games, considering but. the fact that you guys play out of the St. Louis Blues practice rink, and I've been there because I was scouting for at nationals for two years ago. It's an absolutely beautiful facility and beautiful yeah. ice surface with like a bowl as well. Yeah, yeah, no, but, it's 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 a great facility. It's perfect, perfect for Lindenwood now. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, but it's also, you know, as a, as a first year program, you have to expect you're going to be traveling because you're not established, and um, you know, teams are willing to play you as we saw. Uh, high level teams are willing to play us, but they weren't willing to travel. So. You know, you take this year and, and next year and play that same type of schedule. Then by year three, hopefully conference. And now all of a sudden, some of these teams will start reciprocating. So um, the amount of home weekends will improve. But it was it was an awesome environment that that first game, that Friday night game. Um, you know, it was just it was incredible. The guys worked hard and it was a dramatic win. We got the winner with um, I think there was about a minute, 20 something seconds left. Uh, it was, uh, you know. They've yeah. been back yeah, and yeah, forth. Yeah, they yeah. they blew you're, they blew right. a couple leads against us. Um, so we had to battle back to get into position to tie and then win it up late. So it was uh you know, it was it was you exciting. Guys five, sure. You guys scored five unanswered goals. The yeah, boys were awesome. All the way come back. Yeah, they were up on us pretty good. It was it wasn't looking good for a while, but we clawed back and and then Ryan Finnegan got the winner with like I said, a minute something yeah. left, I think. Um but yeah, it was exciting. Kids were ecstatic. Just a great atmosphere. We actually had a couple of blues players came and watched. I think uh, Craig McTavish stopped by. Um, Colton Pareko came by. He was a college guy. Played at Alaska Fairbanks. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So he was. He you know he's always been very supportive and positive. So um, yeah, it was it was cool. It was uh, got a puck from that night. So it was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty special. Historic night. Really quick, also, sorry, Sarge. I, I got a lot no, of questions. Go no, throw away. I got time. It, is it a cheat code at Mariucci for the University of Minnesota? They is have it a, what? a cheat code. They use an Olympic ice surface instead of the standard North American. They they do, but they're also retrofitting it this summer. They're gonna go back. So to they're gonna shrink size. it. Yes. Yes. Okay. And uh, we were kind of we were kind of hoping that they were gonna do that this year, just because how well they skate. Um that, but I that, think that's what I'm saying. That's why I was asking because every time I feel like anyone goes and plays at Mariucci, it's an Olympic ice ice. Oh, sheet. it's a huge, it's, huge it's advantage a for them. Different, a huge difference. But they've also had very. I'm not gonna. I don't want this to sound wrong, but they haven't had a lot of success in the postseason because they play the tournament games on NHL that, size rinks. That's what I'm saying. That's why so I'm I, just like, I, I still I never understood that. I believe that's the reasoning for them downsizing and going back to NHL sheets is to get more consistency as far as the sheets that they play on. So they are retrofitting it this summer. Yeah, no. Okay, perfect. I was going to say, I was like, every time I talk about it, um, uh, which was weird considering the fact, uh, transitioning uh, one more time, you guys played um, the U.S. National Development Program, U18 squad. Let me know how that was. I have a couple uh, buddies on that team. They were so, awesome. Yeah, they were awesome. That was that was a tough weekend for us. That was that, those. I remember I I came down between the periods. I was up in the press box and you know I'm looking at Z and I'm like, 
I don't have notes on us because I just was watching them because they were just that fun to watch. The U18 you know, team, right? Um, they just, their execution, um, man, oh, man, could they shoot the puck. Ugh. Yep. yep. It was – and the thing about that, like, their fourth line, like, we were looking at the lineup sheet, and, and I don't have it in front of me, so names are – don't ask me names because I don't remember, but I'm looking at their fourth line, and I'm going, their fourth line has 72 points. Our fourth line has six. Did, did you uh, did you notice that uh, their first line also uh, is – all committed to Boston College. I'll be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were looking, we were looking for the BU shuttle bus outside, but we didn't see it. There, there's a reason for that. One of my yeah. buddies, uh, uh, Gabe Perot, Gabriel Perot, um, plays for that team, and he was the last one to commit yeah. to Boston College. And there was a reason for that. I asked him. Um, well, he knew. He told me I was I wasn't allowed to say anything. I wasn't allowed. I'm like, I'm not going to tweet it out to TSN. Like relax. Yeah. But obviously, when you're uh, at that type of um, height of your hockey career, like it, all all those guys are uh, going to be first rounders. Gabe's projected to go mid pack. Uh, Will Smith, top five. Ryan Leonard, um, I think top twenty. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason for that. I say that because, like I said, I skated with these kids. I trained these kids. Um, and I haven't been able to watch any of their games. They were here playing the steel this past weekend. Um, I wasn't able to watch them, unfortunately. Um, but it's crazy how much um, talent and skill is on that team. Number one, oh. number two, they called up permanently three players from the U.S. 17 17 to play against us. Yeah. yeah. Cole Eiserman. What was that? Eiserman kid had a hat trick his first game against us. He's, he's something – yeah. Something else. Uh, James Haggis. I watched him at the Steel tryout main camp. His U14 year when he still played for Mount St. Charles. He was the best. He was my favorite player to watch at that entire camp. Um, uh, and then uh, another personal family friend, uh, Cole Hudson. Yeah. Uh, his brother Lane is obviously yeah, yeah. on BU. Yeah. Uh, he's playing tonight. Um, I, I'm shocked that he got um snubbed. No offense to Matthew Nyes, but I'm I'm still a little bit uh upset that he got snubbed for the Hobie Baker finalist. Yeah. I'm not gonna let that go. I'm sorry. Um, there's a tweet about it. I think it was um like Kale McCarr had 48 points when he won the Hobie as a sophomore. Oh, yeah, right here. So Lane Hudson, freshman season, 38 games played, 48 points. Kale McCarr, sophomore year, 41 games played, 49 points as a sophomore. Hobie Baker winner. And yeah. Lane didn't make it the top three. So I'm I'm not going to let that go. Uh, I'm a little shocked. But like I said, no offense to Matthew Nyes, but yeah. – and he's a sophomore. And Lane had more points than him as a freshman defenseman. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Those those guys are all – they're all such uh, talented players that it's – Putting hairs when you find out the difference between them because they're also they're also good, and that and that U eighteen team there was I mean I really liked I'll tell you the one kid that stuck out for me was the defenseman Cleveland, big kid Brady, oh just Henri he reminded me of Chris Pronger, he had a big stick he played hard he was he was always in the middle of things didn't back down from anybody, it was just like this kid's this kid's it's, gonna be legit it's uh it's crazy considering the fact that obviously. 
I'm not a coach or anything, but uh, he only has six points on the year. But obviously, if he stands out, there's a reason why. Well, he's, you know, he's, a he's a defensive. He's a defensive defenseman, I guess. Yeah, but that's exactly what I was. He, he was. He was say. impactful that weekend against us. There's no question. No yeah. question. Yeah, six four. Yeah, six four. Big body on skates. Yeah. Six six. Two hundred twenty yeah, pounds. Yeah, I mean, if he can skate like that, then all the all the more. Uh, to him yeah I mean th- th- this year's team is really special like I said um uh really quick best player uh in college hockey best player played, in college that, hockey that oh. you played against that you guys played against this year um tough one huh? I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna go against the grain but I'm gonna say the huge kid from Michigan really yeah really I, I just I He's that good, huh? I the way he the way Skates. the game the way Probably. the game is effortless to him. You know, I mean Fantilli and Nyes and, and Cool, all those because there's there's again it's splitting hairs. You could pick any one of them. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's a, it's a great pick. But that's why I wanted to ask you of because you actually have seen these guys in real life, literally like five feet away. Yeah, what makes these guys so special? And that's why I wanted to ask, in your opinion, he you just know, he he skated. I mean, he just. Hughes did whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And I think at the end of the games, he wasn't even sweaty. He is just, it, it, he's that, that effortless. He's just that, oh, man. the game is just that simple to him. Oh, and, man. you know, it's, it's that, and that's a that's kid scary. like, I'm, I'm really excited to see him translate that to the next level. To the NHL Because level. you know what? Yeah. He's, he's going to go against men that are, that are, is he, is he going to be able to translate that at the next level? Because yeah. I think, think he's dominated this level i think he's outplayed it i think he's ready for that next challenge and i just oh, he was just he was he was so good against us and the other side of the coin too is is you know when we played michigan and minnesota that was Cooley's first weekend in college hockey that was snuggeroot's first weekend in college hockey so it's like you know we caught him when we needed to yeah. now all of a sudden those kids got 30 games under their belt Belt, they've yeah, adjusted. They, they, they adjusted to the now speed they're the now game. they're dominant. Now that now they're dominant, and well, it so shows. That's a, that's a really great great question, but I I still think I just you know yeah the, he, there's just he, he's really special. oh man he was getting a lot of criticism during the World Juniors. That's all I remember. He, you know what he did? I don't think he had a real good tournament. I don't mm-hmm. think he. I don't think he. And you're talking the best of, for me to sit there and say he didn't meet expectations. It's like oh my gosh, I can't believe him saying that but mm. i think he did have a, a he didn't have the best world juniors but i still think that kid is a is a that that family holy cow what a mom and dad are loving life that's for sure they got some wonderful uh, hockey I, players i uh one of uh so really quick sarge belpedio you know mm-hmm. nick right so he he obviously is best friends with turcott alex turcott so and uh, Alex and Jack Hughes are best friends. And Alex lived with the Hughes family when they played for the national team development program. And when they go, they had like a YouTube documentary about it. All these NHL guys go there. Luke, Jack, Quinn, um, Dylan Larkin was there. Regardless, like top NHL talent, young talent. And it's the dad, Jim, running every single one of the skates. And every really? single time, Belpedio uh our, he he plays at Colgate he's a defenseman yeah uh uh he would go up there and train for like a month or two in Michigan live with Turcotte and his family and skate every single day with the dad 
And I was like, okay, well, like, how are the skates? You know, who's running the skates? Is it like a NHL coach? He's like, no, it's legitimately Jack Quinn and Luke's dad. And I'm like, Jim, really? He's like, dude, you have no idea. Every single skate, absolute bagger. Like, obviously there's no cameras or anything out there, but after every practice, all the kids were literally just on their hands and knees, just absolutely just bagged. And that's the type of skates that, their dad puts them through it. And then you can imagine what it was like growing up oh, with yeah. that. And that's why they're so good. That's why they're so special nowadays. And, and that's who they are right now. So it, it, the fact that you said that Luke was just so dominant and could do anything out there. Um, I guarantee you some of the skates that he had prepared him for the games. And he obviously skates with, top NHL talent. I, he skates with his brothers. Let's yeah. just leave it at that. Like yeah. they literally say that they just throw a puck on the ice and they just play keep away, you know, take away the puck. And I was like, and, and then I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, so how, how was it? Like, how did you do to Belpedio? He's like, I was the worst one out there. I was embarrassed. <laughs> I did not want to be out there. And I'm like, yeah, but it's a great learning tool for you to be out there. And, and yeah, but you can imagine what kind of drills and things that, um, that the dad put these guys through at such a young age. And even now, even at the NHL level, he's still just bagging his kids, sons, um, all these kids. So I think it's just really impressive to see. And then obviously their mom is a former Olympian. Um, I mean, it just hockey genes run through their bloodline. I mean, there's yeah. no surprise there. So, so it's crazy, crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah there's, those teams were so fun to watch. I'm really excited to see this weekend because I, if I had to today, had to today's pick, the day. If I had to pick a winner, man, I I, I got to say Minnesota. I, really? I, against against Lane Hudson and the BU Terriers? I, I got money on BU. I hey Narado, I love Narado. I, I love how Michigan plays. I love how Quinnipiac plays. Mike Corbett's at Quinnipiac. I mean, I there's so many great guys that are there this weekend. It's like, man, oh man, I. I don't know. I so your your prediction is gonna be I, Minnesota and Michigan in the final. I, I, yeah. I guess if you're pinning me up against both, the wall, both ends, that's abs. what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say, and then after that, I'm just gonna sit back and and relax. Watch a great hockey game, and I, I think all the games are gonna be great. I think these teams are 100%. all all deserving, and you know it. Uh, They've all proven that they should be where they are. That's for sure. I was I was kind of surprised how how lopsided the first round was with some of those games. Um, really, really surprised that they weren't closer. Uh, trust me, me and uh, Sarge were uh, texting back and forth when Michigan played Colgate. Yeah. Well, do you happen to catch that uh, game, Wings? I I I, could, I caught the end of it. I it's funny too because that kid butt ended that guy. He butt ended. He butt-ended Fantilli. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, and this is me, I'm going, sorry, fellas, but that's how you're going to play. This is what I'm going to do. And that's exactly yeah. what Michigan did. I, 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 and I don't fault him either because I think that's not the way you want to end the season, want to end the game. And I think if that kid hadn't have done that, you know, you would have seen him kill the clock. But – you know what? You want to you want to try and take out one of our guys late in the game? Yeah. This is probably and I'm sorry if that sounds a little old schoolish, but 
I think there's a little bit of code ethics and I think that crossed the line and, uh, you know, no, no, hundred percent agree. And yeah, and the, the head yeah, coach yeah, at Michigan agreed as well. Yeah. yeah. First power play unit. Go. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I don't know. That's, that's what I would have done. <laughs> I would have been like, all right, this is your, you know, had scenarios in the past where it's like, Hey, looking at a coach saying game's over problems running the clock for the next six minutes. But if you're going to have guys running around a head hunt and then no, hundred percent, you're going to keep fishing pucks out of the back of your net. Yeah. I think like the first one right after that was three seconds, like super quick. Oh my gosh. And all, of them were, all of them were yeah. just like, Oh my God, what a power play. Yeah. Um, have you had like had any experiences, I guess, uh, throughout the season where, you know, I'm sure, you know, coach wasn't like, Hey, go out there, you know, try to take a number, but on somebody. Um, so, you know, obviously that's between like a player and coach having to, you know, work through that, find like the corrective action, whatever it might be. But have you had any experiences with that um, last season where you had to sit, sit one of the kids down and say, Hey, like that's not part of our culture. Um, that type of conversation. Uh, no, not with, not with the Lindenwood kids. Um and our, our guys never got that. Our, our, our guys were, you know what, I, I, I'll use the phrase, they were two professionals with the season because, you know, they were, they were aware enough to know the situation that they were in. They were aware enough to know the kids that they were playing against. Um, you know what, they played hard from, from start to finish. I, we never really had any situations like that. I think, I think our biggest frustration from the year and that took a long time for all of us to get used to was how many reviews there are in college hockey. They review everything, everything. Uh, and that's, you know, that was part of the reason why I became an eye in the sky, you know, with our video guy, because, you know, we're going up there the first half of the season and we're getting eaten alive on all these reviews, you know, these, these head contact reviews and this and that. And it's like, you know, it got to the point, honestly, where it was a little, little ridiculous in my opinion, but slows down um, the game. You also, it, oh, very much so. But on the other side of the coin, I say that, but after the third or fourth game, we got to adapt. You know, you got to understand, Hey, this is part of it. This is the way the game is called. This is what they looked for. You got to be smart enough to figure it out. So um, never really had any situations that we had to calm guys down, but you know, it did take a little bit of time for all of us to get used to players and staff to get used to all the reviews. Yeah, that's an interesting. Interesting take. I haven't thought about that. Yeah, it was uh, that was definitely a new experience. Yeah, Danny, you got anything? Yeah, uh, last thing. Um, okay, your leading scorer last year. Okay, can you pronounce his last name? Because I don't want to mispronounce it and then get yelled at. Uh, David. David Gagnon. Ganyan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain to everyone listening? I don't, like I said, I don't know how famous we are yet. Can you explain how a player that played ACHA hockey last year or two years ago made the jump to NCAA hockey playing against the Hughes, the Nyes, the Cooleys, the Hudson's? Well, you guys didn't play BU, but I just threw his name in there. Can you explain to everyone listening how a player can make a jump to ACHA D1 hockey, put up 26 points in 20 games and be a leading scorer and be a point per game at the NCAA level? He, there that, was a lot. That's, 
crazy. Well, no, and this is this is where the credit goes to the staff the prior year. Uh, obviously, prior to me me joining, these guys did an amazing job recruiting, um, and a lot of credit goes to the kids because those kids were recruited with. There had been a lot of talks that the team was going Division One, but there had been nothing solidified. So that recruiting class that those guys put together last year, they were all kids that some were some were transfers, some were had some Division One experience, some had other offers, but they came, they took the gamble, they rolled the dice, and they came to Lindenwood with the hope that they were going to get the Division One, uh, the jump. So those kids that played that ACHA, a lot of those kids that came in in that class for this year, they they were Division One caliber players. Because if you look at what that team did at the ACHA the last year, they were just well, they, they won the dominant. national championship. I yeah, think. they won yeah. the national championship. They were disgustingly dominant, um, an unbelievable team at that level. So a kid like like David, who probably could have went somewhere else and played last year, took the gamble rolled the dice, made the transition, and then made the transition to the level this year. And, you know, he's he's a very heady, smart – talk about a kid that understands how to find quiet ice and good spaces and, um, you know, reads plays well. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a kid that that, that team's going to be built around, you know, for the next couple of years. Very, very heady, very smart, um, cerebral hockey player. So, it's to me – you know, watching him through the year and, you know, even watching some video on him when I first got there last year, it was like, man, he was, he, he was like you, Luke Hughes at the ACHA level. He wasn't breaking a sweat. He was, he was a man amongst boys playing at that, that level. And it's crazy considering the fact that, you know, um, no disrespect to the league that he played in prior to that, the CCHL, you know, it's not a USHL. Yeah. It's not a BC. Yeah. I obviously don't want to discredit the CCHL um, at all, um, but you just don't typically hear about that type of impact that players like that have. And then even before that, he played in that M. Yeah, he actually might have played, might have taken a year off of juniors and played high school too. He okay. had he had yeah. kind of a crazy crazy pathway for sure. Yeah, I'm like looking at it right now, and I'm just like I. May, like I've never really heard too much about the MJAHL. I have heard of the CCHL, but the fact that he went from that to you know Lindenwood ACHA D1, and then now being a leading scorer um, his sophomore year um, at the NCAA level level and putting up 30 points in 30 games yeah. is I've yeah. I've never seen it. I've yeah. crazy. Yeah, he's a special. He's a special player. There's no doubt about that. That's awesome. It sounds, sounds like he's had a crazy journey. It's cool yeah. to see it, you know, the, the success that he's had. No, he's, he's, he's one of those kids. He's resilient. He's a very resilient kid. And again, he's a very, very studious and, and very cerebral. He sees the game. Well, he thinks the game. Well, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops over the course of the next couple of years too. Sarge. Yeah. Um, so guess, how do you yeah, guys know, first, how do you guys know Papish? Oh, um, just, uh, he played for actually, um, same team. I don't think at the same time that, uh, Sarnecki, 
played at the Bulldogs. Okay. It was out of, out of a ring called uh, Romeoville. Romeoville, um, okay. And okay. so we were um, – that's how we knew each other. So okay. I was playing U18s there. He was playing for uh, the Bulldogs, and that's how we met. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's, a kid, that kept, there's a kid that kept me on my toes. Let's hear it. Come on. Uh, Give us some good stuff. Oh, uh, you know what? He was – he when he came to us, he was trying to figure things out. That's all I'm going to say. He was trying to figure it out. And uh, um, you know what? He's he's He was a fun kid to coach. He's another one of those guys like Sam. He kept things light, um, kept me on my toes. Uh, wasn't one of those guys that was afraid to fling uh, a little trash talk at me every now and again. Um, but uh, you know what? He came in raw. Um, and he worked hard and his skill sets improved. And um, he's another kid that battled. He competed, um, you know, and his, his improvement from the time he got there to the time he left was, was, was huge. Um, but again, he was a team guy, you know, loved to win. Didn't like to sit out. There were times I sat him out just, just because uh, again, we had a deep team. And then when he first got out there, he had to kind of figure out his role and, and figure out, um, how to battle and be a consistent player. And once he earned his minutes and took advantage of it. So, um, yeah, he's a good kid. He's, he's one of those kids that I'm really proud of him. He, he came in, he worked hard, he figured some things out and uh, you know, he's a productive citizen now, which is a good thing for him. <laughs> Love that. That kind of speaks to what you're saying, just a work in progress when you met him. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. Well, yeah, I know he, uh, I want to, I'm curious about how the connection was made with, uh, with, with you two, but um, I think he's similar to, you know, maybe Sam or, or that other kid that you mentioned where, you know, with the Bulldogs didn't have the, the greatest experience and was, you know, battling a lot of like not playing, sitting out, um, stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, it's awesome to see him have an opportunity to, to work with you. And he, yeah, he speaks super highly of you. So how yeah, how'd you guys make that connection? You know what? It's funny. Cause I'm trying to remember. I, I, I want to say that he was referred to me by somebody. Um, Doug Bossy. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Honestly, now, now you're testing my memory, which isn't good. I, I want to say that somebody reached out on his behalf and it was kind of the same thing. Hey, I got a kid here that's looking for a home. Would you be willing to take a look at him? And, and he might've had a buddy on the team. He okay. might've known somebody on the team that made the connection with me that way. Um, but yeah, I think, you have to say it was through something along those lines because I don't really remember. Um, I don't remember doing any recruiting or anything like that or watching him at a showcase. I think yeah. it was through some type of mutual contact was how we got hooked up. Okay, nice. Um, you talk about him being uh, like a team guy. I'm guessing he was he was probably one of those guys that you know he ended up calling you. He's like, hey, you didn't come by for for bedroom or like whatever uh, curfew. Like what? what's going on and he probably had a full costume. I'm sure ready. I checked. Yeah. I'm sure I checked his house. There was that, that I, you can almost mark that down as a given that when I did curfew checks, I was checking in on Pat. Yeah. Cause I, you know, got to spend more time with him like off ice. Don't really know what he was like on the ice. Was he like a jokester? Or did he take things pretty serious or no? And like- you know what? He, he enjoyed the game. Like he had a routine during warmups. I do remember this where him and another guy would, they would get inside the red line and they would, you know, they'd stretch out. And then the next thing you know, they're firing eight foot saucer passes at each other. Um, that was kind of his routine. And um, once game time started, it, w- it was go time. And 
you know, I remember him being a mid six type guy, you know, uh, third line guy, sometimes fourth line minutes. Um, you know, he was, he was one of those guys where it was like, all right, you're probably going to be F1 on the four check. So this is what you need to do. And you need to be responsive, responsive, responsible defensively, um, you know, and go from there, take care of the little things. That's how you earn your next shift. That's how you earn more minutes. That's kind of the type of player that he was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was, he ended up being very reliable. I mean, I ended up, I believe he ended up being a regular for us where he was, you know, playing regular minutes and dressing every game. Nice. Yeah. You don't, you don't know him, right, Dan? Or do you? No. no. What are we talking about? Colin Papish. <laughs> but just a beauty. Only known him like for a short time, but yeah, it was somebody that we're still keeping in touch every now and then. So glad he, glad he's doing well. Yeah. Good. 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 Yeah. Oh, he's a 94. Birthday. Yeah, what are you, Dan? A 96? Young I'm a buck? 90, I'm a 95. Okay. Um, I got to spin the roulette wheel when it comes to that. I'm a 70 birthday. You're young, <laughs> though. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he's a Chicago kid. I did not. Yeah, I didn't know too much about him. He was a 94 Bulldog, Gillette Wild, Steel County Blades, and then Minnesota Owls. And then, yeah, I, I, I don't personally know him, no. Yeah. We, uh, some fun ones you had to have getting tossed from a game before. Like, you got any good stories about losing it maybe early on? Uh, uh one, one of my, one of my favorites. This is, this is a classic. So we're playing, and again, I don't remember which specific year in Gillette. We're playing, we're playing the uh, Yellowstone Quake, and a buddy of mine is coaching, coaching that team. And towards the end of the first period, one of the kids on Yellowstone runs one of our kids from behind really bad. It's a, it's a bad hit, bad hit. Ruff makes the call, kicks the kid out of the game. You know, it is what it is, right? Things happen. Well, the period ends and the players are all leaving the ice. And my buddy who's coaching Yellowstone starts walking towards me. And, and, you know, so picture the ice rink, you've got the benches and penalty boxes on one side, and then you've got all the stands on the other side and we walk across at the end of the periods, the ice to get to our locker rooms, which split. Oh, great. So my buddy comes over to me and he's like, dude, he's like, I am garbage hit. I'll take care of it. I mean, we're just, we're having a friendly conversation, right? There's nothing, nothing hostile about this at all, but the fans don't know that. So they see Tommy start walking towards me and I'm walking towards him and he's on his side of the red and I'm on my side of the red. And we're walking and we're just, we're having a conversation. I'm like, dude, Hey, my guy's okay. We got lucky. We're, we're good. There's no issues. But all of a sudden you kind of hear this rumbling through the fans. Like nobody's leaving the rink to go to the bathroom or get beers or whatever. They think that we're actually having a confrontation. So finally I'm like, Tommy, we got to play this up. The fans think we're going at it. Let's, <laughs> let's start, let's start hamming this thing up. So so he starts pointing at me, you know, he's, he's pointing at me and he's like, what kind of beer you got in the fridge? I'm like, we got a Bud Light. Come over after the game. We'll have a couple beers. So we're, we're being, you know, we're yelling and screaming. Yeah, you're playing it up. Each you're playing it up. Oh, absolutely. So the crowd's starting to go nuts. You know, they're all like, hey, kick his ass wings, blah, 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 you know, yelling, screaming. Well, then the ref comes back out because he hears this ruckus. So the ref skates up and he's like, What's going on here? And I look at him and I'm like, absolutely nothing. Come to the coach's room after the game. We're having beers. Play along. Act like we're fighting. We're not. So we are just playing this thing up. I mean, and the building is just, 
just going, it just exploding, right? The fans are going crazy. So finally we get to, you know, the ref's kind of like, all right, you know, he holds Tommy back and he's like, Winks, you get off the ice. So I get off the ice and fans are cheering and this and that. And Tommy gets off the ice and they're screaming and yelling at him and throwing soda cups at him. And it was just, it was absolutely hilarious. Well, my owner at the time obviously didn't have a clue what was going on. So the ref walks into the, the tunnel between our coach's office and the ref's room. We shared a tunnel, which wasn't necessarily the best setup, but it worked. And so we walk in there and the ref and I were just cracking up. And Dillinger comes in and he's spitting mad. He's yelling at me. He's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I looked at him. I said, what are you so upset for, man? We just got another 10 minutes of beer sales and we're having a good old time and we're just hamming it up. So everybody had a good laugh about it. And um, we still talk about it to this day because it was, I wish I would have had video of it because it was, the the fans were going absolutely nuts. They thought we were literally going to fist fight as we came off the ice. And we played, we played that one up pretty good. So. That's awesome. Good, I good awareness. Enjoy, I always enjoy telling that one because it's a fun one. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome way to be. Yeah, where where the situation? That's too funny. Um, I wanted to ask you because uh, you had brought up Helena um, earlier. I'm yeah. not sure how you pronounce it. I feel like I keep missing that up. And then uh, Butters was Butters the one like he had some kind of part in making uh, the Saw movies or yes. something like that. Mike, uh, Mike, yeah, Mike was actually. I've never seen. The Saw movies, but I think it's in Saw One where the guy gets mangled in like the barbed wire fence at the beginning. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, because that's yeah. that's him. That's that's his role. That's, no way. He was also um, the guys that like his connection with Norfolk and all that, and Helena was that Oren Kulis and Lenny Bari. They were involved with him in Helena, but they were also the guys that owned Tampa. And okay. Oren Kulis was the Hollywood movie guy, so that was Mike's connection with that. Um, Mike was also in Titanic. He he had a couple cameo parts in uh, Titanic. So that's, he's been on the big screen quite a bit. That's awesome. That's super cool. He's just crushing it. And, and hockey he, and movies, just do, doing it all. Wearing yeah, all the he's hats. an awesome guy, too. Um, when I was 16, actually, so uh, my brother, he's five years older, played there. Uh, I think like the next year, I, I, as a 16-year-old, I might have uh, went out and did their tryout or something like that. And it was actually in Vegas. Um, did you guys ever do, uh, do the Vegas tryout for, I like realizing now, like that's, that's 100% for the coaches, right? Like oh, 100%. Why, why else, why else are you having tryouts, uh, in Vegas? We actually, we actually did, uh, AWHL showcase in Vegas. Um, and that was, that was, uh, that's a coach's nightmare. That's, <laughs> that's a coach's nightmare. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, but you know, you, you, there wasn't a lot of sleep because constant room checks and just making sure that it's real easy. I don't care how old you are. It's real easy to get in trouble in Vegas. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. We, we did the showcase out there. Um, the league did it out there one year and it did a great job. It was a great showcase, but again, it's not as relaxing as you think when you're up with your team because of all the distractions and other things that, that you need to deal with. Oh yeah. I'm sure guys. Uh, and then make sure everybody's in their in their rooms. Everybody's good. Everybody's safe. All yeah, right. I now think I did now room checks like one, three. I did room checks at like one, three, five, and seven. But okay. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep out there. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, well, yeah, Dan, do you do you have anything else? I'll uh, Winks can definitely let you go again. You've been super like gracious with your time. It's been been awesome. But Dan, you got anything? Yeah. Uh, 
we like to do this segment at the end, rapid fire questions. Uh, all, right. all right. Let me know when you're ready. Hey, fire away. Black or white tape? White. Uh, for what? On your stick or what? Oh my God. What? You put black tape on you on the on the handle? Well, you didn't, you just said black or white tape. You didn't tell me where. On the handle, I'm... white blade black. Oh, okay. Uh uh most famous person in your phone. In on your my contact. phone. Yeah. Um would be besides, um, besides, besides Sarge. Uh um would be da, 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 most famous um db sweeney who's that he's a movie star he played in uh eight men out oh okay yeah. i gotta look into that gotta look into that uh favorite place to go vacationing uh the beach anywhere anywhere, anywhere beach. on the beach yeah F- favorite um favorite movie really slap shot oh god God, uh, if you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? Oh, um, for a living, for a career. Um, driving a train. Driving a train, so no, just p- pushing a button and yeah. letting it go. Uh, favorite player in the NHL. Favorite player in the NHL. Um, Kale McCarr. Why? I love the way that kid skates. He's he's the. If you ever want to study power skating and edge control, there's the guy to watch. What about Luke Hughes? He's, he's up not there in the NHL now. yet, but when he uh, gets there, as, as, if they win or they uh, get knocked out Dan. today, or yeah. not, he'll yeah. he'll be in the NHL this year. I'll be watching he'll, him. He'll, he'll play this year. Uh, favorite? Uh, oh, uh, player. Um, when you were going, uh, favorite hockey player growing up, growing up, the great one, Wayne, Wayne train. Yep. The great one. Perfect. Favorite, uh, pregame meal, uh, chicken parm. Oh, that's so basic. Sydney Crosby, <laughs> Sydney Crosby has the same answer. That's great. Can go for some right now. Uh, and then, uh, who do you think will win the NCAA national championship on Saturday? Yeah. Nailing me to the wall again. I got to go with Minnesota. To a certain degree, it pains me, but I got to say Minnesota. Minnesota Golden. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot to uh, ask because I just completely forgot. What do you think about the hiring of Mike Hastings at Wisconsin? Um, I don't know Mike personally, but I think he'll do a great job. He's had a lot of success where he's been. Um, record speaks for himself. Um, I think he'll do a fantastic job. Perfect. Sarge, you can uh, chime in whenever you want if you have a quick rapid-fire question as well. Oh, late-night snack or dessert. Oh, oh, um, oh man. Ice cream, cereal. Late, I crush late, cereal. Late-night snack, I'm going to go ice cream, vanilla ice cream with caramel. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to keep it simple on that one too. Most underrated player in the NHL. Most underrated player in the NHL. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I do I do my research on these hard hitting questions. Uh, oh gosh, I have um, I have one that popped up. Uh, give me yours, and then I'll give you mine, and then you can be like, oh, he's. A you know, I'm I'm going to come guy. out of left field on this one because 
I think the Shabbat kid from Ottawa, the defenseman. Thomas. I really like him. I liked him in the World Juniors, and I just think there's something to his game. And I don't think I don't think he gets the credit he deserves yet because they haven't reached where they want to go. Mm-hmm. But I think when they become a playoff team, they'll be they'll be a household name. A hundred percent agree. Mine, Jason Robertson from Dallas. Yeah, a hundred points. Hundred points. Yeah, I, I don't think he's I don't think he's underrated anymore. I think he's a, the secret of the cat's out of the bag with that kid. He's a player. He's True. a player. True. I agree. Matthew Kachuk, also another very quiet, over 100 points this year. Yeah. Which yeah. Is and you know what crazy. I like about I like Kachuk's because they still got that old school grit about them. Well, because of their father, their yeah. Walt. Well, but th- there's not a lot of that left anymore. Hey, here's a question for you guys. What do you think about the Quebec Major Junior League banning fighting? Oh, great. No. <laughs> That's not there's, real. There, I don't know. There's a part of it, and you've seen a lot of this too. And even like we were talking about uh, with the butt ending situation um, with Michigan, but like there's a game within the game, and like being able to answer the bell and like send messages, and then like the the mental part of it, it's huge. And you're gonna you're gonna take that away. Like now, I feel like that might be getting replaced with like guys head hunting. So you're not Correct. gonna fight. All right, now I'm gonna like catch you with your head down and like try to light you up. As a, so now you're gonna peep peep like you might have people coming up to get injured as opposed to, all right, let's square up, answer the bell. Then it's done. And then it's done. Yeah. No, it's, I, I, I think it's a horrible thing. And, you know, you've spent some time minor pros and your brother's minor pros. I mean, you get these kids that are coming up that that's really not the best time to start figuring out whether you can fight or not, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, we, we took a lot of grief back in the day in Bozeman because we had a, we had a guy in town who was a, U.S. Naval Academy grad who was the he was the core boxing champion and he would come in and we had him teach our guys how to box. Yeah. How to, and, at and, least and to fight yourself. 100%. It's like, listen, this is this is junior hockey. We don't want you going out there looking for it. But you know what? If there's a melee in front of the net and somebody grabs you. Yeah. Don't you better know away. what to do mm-hmm. because you're going to get hurt if you don't. Yeah. And that's that was our selling point is it's like we just don't want anybody getting hurt needlessly because they can't. They don't know how to defend themselves, but you know, you start taking the policing of the game away from the players. It's, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I think there's some things that need to be better left alone. And I, and I believe this is, I mean, you've done all the things to protect it and make it, you know, you, you've, especially in us junior hockey, you've, you've taken it to where if it gets to that point in a game, a game's out of hand. You know, because now you get the five minute, you get the 10 minute misconduct at the tier three level, you fight, you're out for the game. Then you start adding on and game suspensions and this and that. So it's you're doing enough to curtail it from happening. But, you know, at the same time, I'd like to see statistics of how many, you know, our concussions up, our knee injuries up, our, you know, our injuries up because of the fact that this element's being being phased out, so to speak. Really good point. Okay, I got three last three questions, and then I actually got to go. I got to right. do do like a, a quick thing for a job resume, and then I got a private here in a little bit, and my brother keeps telling me to get off his computer. <laughs> so I got three more. Um, first one, it rank, uh, in your opinion, uh, you don't have to answer, but I have my own opinion on this. Rank each major junior league from best to worst. So one, two, three. 
Uh, I would go OHL, WHL, Quebec major. That's exactly my answer. Yep. Sarge, what about you? Yeah, I, uh, that's what I was thinking too. Okay. Second question, should college hockey Im- implement visors? They should, but they never will. Uh, favorite app on your phone? Favorite app on my phone? Um, Uber Eats. <laughs> I'm, I'm old school. I, uh, oh, my gosh. I'd have to say my, my NHL app. My, my, my space. <laughs> yeah. My space. Uh, I mean, sorry if you have any more. We've been almost two hours. Yeah, no, this is this has been awesome. Thanks for uh, thanks for yeah sharing time with us and bringing up some I like that nugget at the end. Like it would be cool. Do you know why um, they won't implement uh, visors in college? You think? Insurance. Yeah. I, I guarantee you, it's really? a total uh, total insurance thing. Yeah. Canadian college. They everyone. Wear, everyone. Canadian college wears visors. Uh, wears visors, right? Yeah. yeah, in Canadian college, yeah, U yeah. Sports, yeah, absolutely. EIS yeah. is allowed to wear visors, one hundred percent. Yep. I believe it's an insurance thing, a liability thing. I mean, you know, that, that, that would be, I, I, I would love to see it. I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to see the North American league adapt what major juniors has where everybody wears the same type of half shield, no matter how old you are. Cause I think the unequal facial protection plays a factor in, in what we're talking about too. You got guys running around, you know, with full full cages on, sticking guys that have visors on because they know yeah. they can't remove their helmets because if they take a guy's helmet off in a fight, it's an extra game misconduct. So I, I'd like to see the consistency with it in the junior the junior hockey as well. Yeah, good point. Uh, but, uh, last, last one, okay. really quick. I'm actually curious about this one and what your opinion is. Uh, should uh, major junior league players, uh, to a certain point, be allowed to play NCAA Division One hockey in the states? You know, not, not you sports. Um, I honestly, my take on it is very simple. Yes. And I'll tell you why, because what's happening with the NIL with this, yep, name, that's exactly what I was when you have, say. when you have a guy that doesn't want to go play football at Miami, I believe it was because they're not giving him his $13 million. So he goes to Ole Miss because they're going to give him the $13 million. And then you have major junior kids that are getting 250 bucks a week because they can't work because it's, it's to supplement their food or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I don't believe there's a difference. So that's my long answer to a short question, which the bottom line is, yes, I think they should. I don't, I don't, I don't, let me put it this way. I don't think they should be ruled ineligible because they choose that path and they get some type of compensation money because of what's happening with the other sports and what other athletes are getting through the NIL. Wow. No, I and I agree yeah, with that I, whole NIL uh, situation that. Uh, coming out now. Yeah, where college it's, athletes it's, are making millions of dollars on their presence on social media, TikTok, Instagram, whatever you want to call it, and the fact that they are allowed to get these millions of dollars but still continue, um, you know, being a college athlete. Yeah, for I, I I don't see what the difference is. I, I I don't see what the difference is. So, and I think that opens up a whole another question of you know, all of a sudden there could be kids that play major juniors for two to three years that want to come back. You know, the good things it could be, it could open up a PAC 10 conference where now all of a sudden you've got USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, then Alaska, Fairbanks and Anchorage have places to play. Arizona has a conference. They've got their Western, their conference, which would help those schools out tremendously. 
Um, you might see more schools do what Lindenwood did, make the jump to Division One, because now there's more capable players available. You know, so I think it's, you know, you go down that slippery slope of allowing people to get paid to play college sports. These are some of the things that could happen positively and negatively because of it. Uh, last one. Sorry. Last one. I sort of got last one. Sorry. Sorry. You're, you're like the kid shooting like I know. Uh, three, three pointers. Uh, uh, no, because everything, like I said, everything just hits me. Sarge like sends me like a whole template of like what we're going to be discussing. And I'm like, dude, it'll come to me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, in the middle of it. Give me two schools that you think uh, will become NCAA hockey in your eyes next besides Stonehill. Um, and then what's the other one? Let's go on NCAA D1. I think UNLV I, might be right? one. Oh, yeah. Okay. UNLV. I, I okay. think UNLV is looking at it. I don't know where they're at. Um, another one would. You and I were supposed to get self, one. Selfishly in this area, I'd like to see possibly Maryville do it. So there'd be a yeah. nice rivalry in state. Yeah, Maryville. U of I was supposed to get one, University of Illinois, but I don't know what. Yeah, they bailed, they bailed. They bailed on that. I remember hearing that, but they they pulled out of those discussions. I, I still don't know why. I guess it wasn't the. They have a rink on campus. Yeah, that's that's crazy to me. Yeah, crazy rink there too. I don't know if either of you have been there. I hate it. I I, I, I have I not, it. but I've heard it's huge. I've yeah. heard it's bigger than Minnesota. Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's a, it's an honest cheat code. That's an honest cheat code. It's bigger and wider than Olympic ice. What did what did somebody say about Mich- or Minnesota's rink? It was like playing on the Great Lakes. Yeah, it's it's just so big. Huge. It was huge. It was it was it was monstrous. It was monstrous. All right, sorry. Cool. Right. Well, Your show. All right. Thanks. <laughs> no, thanks, Winks. You got anything else that you wanted to go over? Or y'all good? No, I mean, this was awesome. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Nice. Good. Well, yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Winks. Um, you know, we'll uh, hopefully do this again. Yeah, please. Anytime. Let me know. All right. Sounds good. Right. See you guys. Thanks. You guys really enjoy it. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks again, Tom Winkler, for coming on. Super awesome interview. Uh, easily one of our longest and one of the more fun ones that we've done. Um, congratulations. Actually, you know, After this episode uh, was recorded, I found out that he recently took the job to be um, the Missouri State men's uh, hockey coach, so super pumped for him. He'll crush it based on all the different experiences that he's had. He's coached everywhere. He's been a part of player development, scouting, which is huge um, for for the ACHA, so um, I'm assuming they're going to do really well. Um, and then also, uh, this was recorded before uh, Quinnipiac ended up beating the University of Michigan, um, going on to uh, the the finals in NCAA D1 men's hockey, who they had an awesome game in the finals against Minnesota, where they ended up coming back on a late third period power play goal. Um, Coach Pecknold made a gutsy move gutsy move and pulled the goalie with uh, just over three minutes left ended up scoring on that power play sent it to overtime and 10 seconds in overtime ended up burying it with a sick sick goal um, right off the opening face off uh, passed it to can't 
remember his last name, but true uh, freshman, dished it over to the guy, one-on-one -on -one, uh, battle to the net, buried it. The boys went crazy. Super awesome to see. So congratulations, uh, Quinnipiac, on your first ever uh, men's hockey uh, title. So congrats, boys. Look forward to seeing you on uh, the next episode of TMP Hockey.